This podcast is brought to you by the team at New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Remember to get your hands on the latest issue from your favourite retailer or subscribe now at nztrucking.co.nz. On Moving, the official podcast of New Zealand Trucking Media. Here's Dave McCoy and Murray Lindsay. Welcome to episode eight, and the good news, brothers and sisters, is we're all together in one room. One room. Yeah, first time in 2022. Unbelievable. So let me introduce Dave McCoy, the editorial director of New Zealand Trucking Media. Hello, Dave. G'day, Mars. How uh, are you? Good, good. Uh, Gavin Myers, who's the editor of NZ Trucking Magazine. Hello, hello. And Carl Kirkbeck, see you got the name right. You're now officially on the uh, on the ticker, mate. So yeah. I got I got to get it right. Uh, he's he's he's. I, I understand he does special projects, and we haven't quite worked out what those are yet. Yeah, that, that'll that'll evolve. That'll evolve. Yep. Yeah. He, yep. He, we we haven't told him yet what they are. What those are. I need you to get a bit closer to the microphone. Oh, boss. okay. Yeah, right, okay. So don't just drift away on me, please. Oh, right, okay, right. that's good. That's good. Um, uh, okay, let's just start. If you had one word to describe your month, what would it be? Electric. Double oh nine. Carl? Change. Change. Change? Oh. What about you, Gab? Oh, busy. Busy. Okay, uh, our beautiful noise from March. I think I'd have it here. We don't need to hear it all the way through, Dave. What was it? The truck was a C15 Caterpillar-powered Kenworth T908. Yes, okay. Yes, and the winner was Jono Murray. Jono Murray. Yep, who got the, uh, who got the engine and... Uh, and he didn't get the truck, and then he sent me another email and said, oh, I've just seen uh, that Carl guy. He's been out in that orange one. Well, it's not that truck, is it? And I said, yep, no, you're already winning, John, eh, mate? You're already at it. Yeah, he knew the sound of an old, he knew the sound oh, of an old, of an old tractor motor in a truck. Yeah. Perfect. Okay, let's get to this one. Just a reminder, this is the Keep On Moving podcast. Uh, later, Bill Brown, the driver's driver, will be our feature interview with Dave. Okay, boys, let's move on to it. It is the moot. This is where we discuss the subject. And what is the subject, Dave, that we are discussing this month? Uh, now, who was it? Was you, Gav? It was, yeah. yeah, it was one of your gems, eh? One of my bright ideas. Yep, and it was, uh, is truck driving moving away from a vocation and simply becoming a job? That was what you threw on the table, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, pretty much in a nutshell. Yep. 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 So, we, so, what do you think from where you sit? Yeah, for me, I've, I mean, I've always said it from from the very beginning when I started working here with you guys. Um, coming into the industry in New Zealand, I was blown away by the amount of passion in in this country for trucks and trucking. Um, just just among among truckies and the pride and what they do and the pride they take with their trucks. Um, you know, I 
I know that was it was my idea for the topic, but I'd, I'd firmly say that, yeah, there, there is still a hell of a lot of passion for it here. Yep. Yeah. Gee, thank you, Gavin, <laughs> <Yeah>. so much. <laughs> <laughs> yep, but it's really interesting because I suppose when you've grown up like Carl and I, we've seen it. We've seen it at like the zenith of the passion, like when it was mm. absolutely. And and if you ask us, we're probably mildly more cynical and say, yeah. you know, there's so much, there's so much compliance and sterility and difficulty moving into the industry now that there's certainly more people that are doing it uh, that don't have the connection with the machine that 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 we always knew and yeah. Really, right? Yeah, the thing is, is that um, I think you're right. Compliance and so forth and all that sort of carry on is really um, uh, changed the um, feeling for a lot of guys. There's a lot of guys that you know, like the cameras and so forth, dash cams and bits and pieces and things like that. But I mean, that's that's evolution. That's that's one of those things. But the passion for the trucks, I, I feel, is still there. Um, yeah. And um, you know, it, I mean, for me. Um, little truckers magazine. I mean, that, that's showing. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I mean, we're teachers ringing up all the time saying, yeah. you know, the kids won't let the thing down. They're, yeah. they're walking around the classroom with it in the school and so forth. So, it's it's still there. It's um, but yeah, yeah. We've got to be careful that 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 doesn't disappear because that's always been a huge part of the industry. Yeah, I think it will always will be. And Matt uh, Smith, the uh, business partner and head of the sales, said a few months ago was something really made me sit back and think when I was having a bit of a cynical moment about the future of trucks. And, and he said, yeah, but you grew up in the diesel era. That will always be the big shiny thing to you. But he said, a kid born now in the electrical era, mm-hmm. when a big electrical hydrogen truck, that's, they'll still be big and shiny and flash and they'll be yeah. neat and they'll be neat to him and he'll yep. grow up with them and he'll yep. think the ones that you like are silly old sausages. Yeah. Speaking of passion, of course, a bit later on we're going to be talking with Jeremy Walsh about Kiwi Rep because that just will show you who's got the passion, Dave. Who's got the passion? <laughs> I the man cave. If you've got a comment you'd like to make any time, you know, uh, Dave's got this inbox that's so big that uh, <laughs> he can take as many emails as we can get our hands on. It's dave at nztrucking.co.nz. Okay, time to move on. Uh, let's go to Aussie and our man on the ground so to speak, is uh, Mike Williams. Where are you, Michael? Whoa! I think it's a bit long, don't you? (laughs) So, Dave, Mike was involved in uh, something that was called the Harmony Parade. Um, basically, what was that about? Yeah, so Mike and, uh, and a colleague, his, a mate of his, a guy called Amar Singh, who's a tireless worker for breaking down barriers and, and uh, cultural barriers in Australia and the trucking workplace. And, yeah, they put the Harmony uh, Day on and to, to get parties talking and to, yeah. and to get people to know each other and introduce each other and bring trucks and introduce the public to trucks and bring all the, all the different parts of the, the local community together to like talk about because they've got the same sort of problem that we're having over here is you know there's sort of a, sort of attitudes and things towards people that you don't really know from a bar of soap and so yeah they would they're just tirelessly working on on sort of getting communication up and talking and, and breaking down those barriers so the question to mike first up uh were you happy michael did we were very very happy with the way it all went in the finish uh obviously we'd have liked to have seen more people there a really really good day and uh a great cross-section of people there. And, um, look, Amar and I were very proud. There was some, you know, some cultural uh, dancing from some, some of the uh, Indian... They wear the most beautiful clothes, you know? Yeah. The silk and the, anyway, I learned a lot. 
met a few guys, made a few new friends, and that, that's what it's all about. The basis of the day was to try and break down some barriers and get different people talking to each other in terms of, uh, I suppose you'd say, uh, tensions in the industry that are, that are just a repeat of like years gone by with other, when, when other cultures have entered the industries as well. Well, they're always, you know, according to the blokes that are in the job, they're always taking our jobs and they're cutting the rates and they're making it harder and they're, you know, but the, the sad reality of it is that they're just blokes trying to make a living, put a roof over the head of the family, feed the kids, send them to school, and they see an opportunity here and, and the same opportunity that I saw, that you saw, that any other bloke driving a truck saw, and they can make a living doing it. Now, I've, I've maintained always that there, there are driver training issues but that's right across the board. It's not only people that come here from overseas. I've also maintained that you can't blame a bloke for not knowing something. That's about the training. Yep. You know, we need to address that. It's not, it's not the bloke, it's not the colour of his skin or the language he speaks or where he came from. It's the fact that there are blokes that are willing to put untrained people behind the wheel. That's the issue. Yeah, yeah. And we need to address that. But you know, once you get to know people, I think, and you get to realise that you know, they're just the same as you and me, really. Yeah. You know, that, that sort of solves a lot of the problems, I think. Yeah, and you were saying in the build-up to the day and also during the day and post-day that uh, Amar is a tireless campaigner on, on trying to smash barriers to pieces. The man is a machine. He's an absolute machine. He's got more energy than you and me and five other blokes. <laughs> you know, just... Just on the day before we had the, the Harmony Day in Sydney, he'd been up in Lismore, which is a few hundred kilometres up the road, helping out with the floods. Now, is Lismore like, the place that they're saying they might have to shift? Because they, Yeah, that, it's been absolutely smashed. The joint's been absolutely smashed, and it's twice now it's been smashed. And Amar has got this charity turbans for Australia that he's the, uh, the, the, the president of. A registered charity, and they just do so much work with uh, you know, community work and charity work within the local community around Liverpool, and that there where he, where, he, where he hangs around. But all over the all over the state, he's everywhere. The man's yep. everywhere. The man's he's an inspiration. He really yeah, is. yeah, yeah. He'd be worth having a yarn to on the show. Oh, mate! I, if I was you, I would. I did. Yeah. The whole uh, harmony, the theme of the Harmony Day celebrations, ties and ties and lovely with something that came up on the, one of the last two shows, either the one just gone last night or the one the week before, where the, you were talking to someone I forget who it was about um, just the, the like the, the the hideous thing that social media is in today's oh, world and truck driving, yeah. and you yeah, see yeah, a you yeah. see an old mate who's having a bit of trouble and he might be having a day that's not so good, and all of a sudden you forget about all of the days you've had that haven't been so good, and instead of going to help him, you take a bloody TikTok of him, yeah, no. and, and put it on the global web. I'll tell you what, mate, I was lucky I was making my mistakes before that was about. Oh. And we've got enough reasons for guys to be thinking twice about joining the industry and, and social media is a huge yeah. one. And when doing ourselves no favours no, with we're what not. we're doing to our fellow brethren with, those, with that pissing thing. The other thing about it is too, people that don't know anything about trucks, they get on social media and they see that stuff. Yeah. And we all get tarred with the same brush. And it's like these idiots that are the, the, the tick, what they, what they call the, the so-called TikTok truckies that are, going around recording themselves, playing music and doing stupid shit. I mean, professional drivers don't do that. 
professional drivers don't even want these plans in the industry. We should be doing everything we can to dissuade people from doing it. And I, and I think that we, we generally trying to. It's there's always that one small percentage of, of blokes that are going to, uh, they're going to give us a bad name. Yeah, and it's really interesting because you don't see, you know, we talk about professionalism in the industries, and I say industries plural because meaning the, the two, the Brotherhood Nations sort of thing. Yeah. And, but we, you, if you flick through TikTok, and, and I've and I flick through TikTok because every now and then, because there is some funny and interesting and interesting stuff on it. But you don't see yeah. airline pilots taking the piss out of each other. You don't see no. train. You don't see train drivers taking the piss out of each other. No, you don't. You don't see ships captains doing it. In fact, there's one girl who's a ships captain for one of the big shipping lines, and she takes the time to take you through how big ships work. Yeah. Then you flick to a truck driver one, and he's laughing at some poor bugger who's just trying to throw the chains over a load of timber yeah. and doing it wrong and instead of going to help them and showing yeah. them how to do it right it makes us look idiots and the other three look professional that's right and that and that's one of the that's what we're trying to engender we're trying to do that sort of thing and you know people like my mate trev warner are learning by example you know they're they're getting there and they're helping guys out in the, in the loading docks and stuff and this is what we need to do it's the only way and- to do it Absolutely, hundred percent. And what a wonderful segue that was, Mike Williams. You're just you're the you're the true professional, the the on the road uh, podcast with his mate Andy. Because I want that's a beautiful segue into. If you haven't listened to, was it last night's one? It was. Yeah, it was last night's one. Mike's conversation because there's a fair bit going on in terms of industry representation in Australia, and he spoke with Trevor Warner, VP National Road Freighters Association, and it's a twenty minute interview or chat between you and him probably it's a bit longer than that mate it was two ad breaks i was, was closer to 40 minutes but anyway. right if, if you're in our if you're in the keep on moving uh audience i implore you go and listen to mike's interview or chat with trevor warner about the you you could overlay it 110 percent on our industry and he is he is he is sharp he is mate he is he's a a jewel in your industry yeah, he is. He is. He's a, he's a great bloke. Heart's in the right place, and he's a tireless worker and an advocate for the industry. He runs uh, the uh, Drivers Advocate page on Facebook as well over here. And uh, all the time, all the time, Trev is just trying to do what he can, making submissions. You know, it, he doesn't stop. He's another machine. He's another bloke that's fully motivated and fully dedicated to what he's doing. And I'm happy to call him a mate of mine. He really yeah. is a good bloke. Yep. No, ab- absolutely. And um, it's interesting because it, it, the ease of one of the subjects was, you know, talking about ease of licensing and things like that. And I'm always get a bit yeah. squirmy over here when they talk about, uh, about, about license, making licenses easier to get, because mm-hmm. I always go back to my old chestnut of mine where I always say to people, hang on a minute. It's the largest, it's the largest object allowed free movement in society under the control of one person. Yeah. The licenses cannot be easy to get. That's right. Or they, keep. Or keep. Yeah, <laughs> and that goes for driver's license or the license to run the bloody things. Yeah, no argument out of me at all, mate. Yeah, None there's, all. No, there's no other device in our society as big that has got total freedom of movement and the control yeah. of one person. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's incredible. Like I said when I was talking to Trev, we, I mean, I can't go to the US and just get behind the wheel of a semi and, and work as a commercial driver. Can't go to Europe and do it. Can't go to England and do it. Why do we let people come here and do it? Yeah. It, it just doesn't seem to me as though it makes much sense. I've got no problem. I don't care 
what corner of the world you come from, I don't care what language you speak, as long as when you get behind the wheel of a commercial vehicle here in Australia, we, we know that you're competent to do it and you've earned the right to do it. Yeah, and you respect what it is you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, those that don't respect what they're doing, like our, uh, like our fellow driving a T600 Kenworth up and down the game the other day that got knocked off with his licence suspended until like a million years away, yeah, well, he was just about breaking the whole. He was the like he was the fruit machine. He had all gold bars on laws broken, didn't he? I, I swear, I swear to God, mate. I reckon someone in the buddy ticketing office will shout bingo when they see his car. He ticked all the boxes, and I, that just made me laugh. And it made me laugh, but then at the same time, it made me cringe because it's absolutely a demonstration of someone that we really don't want playing. Yes. They're out there, mate. They drive amongst us. It's scary. Yeah, absolutely. And and the and the, the other thing I loved uh, that you touched on, Trevor, about too, and amongst the and and all I'm doing is I'm just these are just a couple of little quick things. It's a fantastic chat, but yeah. uh, I love the conversation about um, highway anxiety and the mental attitude of drivers and the haste that comes with youth. Because I've yeah. always, I've said to people, I've never enjoyed <clears throat> when I've been able to do it, which is getting a little bit yeah, not as frequent as I'd like to be able to do it. But when I drive a truck nowadays, I've never enjoyed it more because I said the best truck driver in the world has the brain of a 55-year-old and the body of an 18-year-old. That's right. That's exactly right. Because now I enjoy well, it, but the, but the chassis won't throw chains as well anymore or bloody that's right. or cover yeah. stuff. So if, I, if you could cross that body with a 54-year-old brain. Yeah. It's like my mate Trev says. <laughs> yeah. Once you've got the hoorah and the rah-rah and all the rubbish out of you, then you might become worth something as a driver. Oh, one of the things, one of the subjects I had down to talk to you about, I talked to Will about, so I'll just touch base with you on this one as well, yeah. is um, yeah. standing time for trucks at places. Uh, is, it, is it a big thing? Like, and not being able to charge for it. Just like $800,000 worth of kit that's sitting there, got there on time, met the booking time, and an hour later, it's still there waiting to get unloaded. And everyone's saying, well, if you charge a standing time, we'll give the job to the next cheapest contender. The marriage. Yeah, look. <laughs> the marriage, yeah, that's the it. The marriage. Yeah. yeah, it is an issue, mate. It's always been an issue. And I can tell you a story from my own past when I was an owner-driver. I was over at a big DC at Monato in South Australia. And I, I think I might even name him Big W because I'm allowed to, this is true. Yeah. And I was an owner-driver, and I was sitting there, and I, I was, had my own trailer. I was running backwards and forwards between Melbourne and Adelaide, and we often used to go and, and load the big W stuff to go back to Melbourne or, or something like that. Stores all over the place. And I'd been sitting there. I was booked in for 7.30 in the morning to load. Come 7.30 that night, I still hadn't loaded, hadn't started yet, right? <laughs> and I went inside... And I had a chat to the bloke and I said, mate, you know, it's got to the point now where I've got to go because I've got to load out of Melbourne to come back to Adelaide tomorrow. And you have to remember that the rates out of Melbourne to Adelaide are better than the rates out of Adelaide to Melbourne. So Melbourne's the pay and leak. And uh, I said to this bloke, he said, oh, oh well, I don't know, when we're going to load you. And I said, well, I'm going. And all of a sudden I had an attitude problem, according to them. <laughs> I'd sat there all day, right? Yeah. Uh, and hadn't I, and turned I said, well, a dollar. I, I, hadn't turned a dollar. Hadn't turned a dollar, and they didn't have. A, they had a toilet and they had a little lunch room, but they didn't have anything. They had a vending machine with some chips in it or something from memory. 
So, and there's nowhere to get a feed, there's nowhere to have a shower, there's nowhere to do anything. And they don't want you to have your keys in the truck either. You've got to take the keys in and hang them on the hook. Right. Right. And they'll come out and they'll, they'll take an airline off and, and put a lock on your airline because you never know, you might drop A, right? Anyway, I, I went and got my keys and I got the bloke to come out and take the airline. And before I got out the gate, the bloke that I was doing the load for was ringing me up. And I said, mate, I've been here all day, you know. Sat here all day for a $720 load or something. It was just stupid. And that's what happens. It's still happening. You can sit at a DC with a fridge motor running. And given the price of the fact that diesel prices now are just going ballistically into space, um, who wants to sit and pay for uh, a fridge motor to run all day for yeah. someone? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. well, that's eating well into your margin, isn't it? Uh, well, what margin? <laughs> You know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just sit back now, mate, and I look at it. I'm cured now. Yeah. I don't think I'll buy another truck. I look at them and I go, gee, that's a nice truck. Gee, it's cheap. I reckon I can make a quid with that. And then Rose says to me, if I do, she knows where I sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you know, do with that what you like. But I asked her once, I said, you know how we all worry about sleep apnea? And I said to her once, Rose, do I stop? breathing in my sleep and she said oh no not really except when i put a pillar across your face <laughs> but obviously <laughs> hasn't stopped it enough <laughs> well you know she changes her mind that's right oh maybe i like him yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who's who, who's gonna mow the lawn rose rose mows the lawn i don't mow the lawn <laughs> but, but the, all the, well, the next door neighbors kids mow the lawn yeah, absolutely. Yep. For the, you know, for the for the for the pocket money. Yeah, for the shillings. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey, great to chat, Mike. That's been a great talk. I implore our crew to listen to uh, <clears throat> on the road, and especially last night's episode of the Trevor the Trevor Warner interview, VP National Road Freight Association. Uh, thank you very much, and we'll talk to you, talk again in a month with the next month's worth of adventures. Just quickly before you go, yes, I've got a fella coming on the show. Yes. We're going to talk about what it means to actually run a truck business as an owner-driver. It's a third-generation business owner. Yep. And we're going to talk about rates and, and really what you need to know. So that's going to be a good thing coming up. Fantastic. And is that in a couple of weeks or a week? or? I'm hoping to record with him tomorrow. So. Fantastic. Well, that, yeah. yep. I hope everyone uh, heard that. And, yep, on the road, Mike and Andy. Great listen. Want to catch the latest truck videos and posts from New Zealand Trucking Magazine? Then hit the like button on the New Zealand Trucking Magazine Facebook page and subscribe to the New Zealand Trucking Magazine YouTube channel. You've been chatting with our European correspondent, Will Shires, Dave. Yeah, that's right. Well, uh, our good friend Will over in the UK, he's a, he's a great guy. And, uh, yeah, we were talking here about um, a few days ago about the, the, the cost of standing time of trucks that can never be recouped. And I touched base with uh, Will, and I think I touched base with Mike as well, about what the situation over is in Europe about trucks that are caught standing through no fault of their own that don't get to charge and recoup the cost. It's a big problem, and it came to a head last year. We had a a critical driver shortage, and um, you've got trucks sitting outside supermarkets for hours on end waiting to be tipped. Meanwhile, we're shouting there aren't enough enough trucks uh, or enough drivers out there. There isn't a compensation scheme as such, but some hauliers will have something written into the contracts, you know, so if they're, if they're left waiting, they can claim money back. Yeah. But it works both ways as well, of course. And also, how many hauliers actually want to get into a conflict with a, uh, a good customer and risk, uh, risk jeopardising a contract? General camaraderie across the British fleet, is that, is that 
pretty good, generally speaking, or is it, or is trucking becoming a lot more insular? We're sort of seeing, we're sort of, there's been a bit of a, there's a bit of a belief here and, and held at my desk as well about just the general demise of camaraderie that we used to see 70s, 80s sort of thing. You know what, it, it, it came back briefly during, uh, during the height of the pandemic. Yes. Um, when there was people lining the bridges, waving to, waving to truck drivers, it, it, you know, they were seen as key workers and it, it boosted morale. Yeah. But, the, the, the public have such short memories, don't they? And oh. everything back to how it was. They're, they're treated like rubbish. Parking yeah. is appalling. Facilities are terrible. Yeah, yeah, it's not great. Anyway, moving on to more uh, positive stuff is uh, you've been over in uh, Scandinavia driving electric Volvos, I hear. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, went to Gothenburg. Um, so Volvo are launching a complete range of um, heavy trucks, um, zero tailpipe emission trucks, um, later this year. And we had a, a drive in a couple of prototypes. There was an FMX 8x2 and a 4x2 um, FM electric tractor. And that was running at 30 tonnes. And right. let, let me just get this out there. I, I'm not a, a massive uh, electric vehicle fan, not at that weight. I, I just... I think diesel's got a, a fantastic future still, well, should have. Euro 6 is so clean. You know, I, I get electrifying lighter trucks, but I was really sceptical about the, uh, the heavier truck. But yep. um, I was blown away driving this thing. It was incredible. What sort of range did it have? Um, 300 kilometres. So you, you can have less batteries. This had six, um, and they have uh, three motors in them and all. So the, the power is it was phenomenal. It was the equivalent of 660 horsepower. Yes. But of course, you've just instant talk haven't you yeah that is it is yeah they are it's 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 a phenomenal experience to drive them so what about is it just put it in d and plant your foot or is there a is there a change in ratios anywhere in the drive line or so what they've done for the heavy trucks which is quite clever they've adapted the i-shift gearbox so it's 12 speed oh okay so what does it sound like when um, you're driving it is it just a series of whines you, you don't hear anything right uh, Quite as electric truck I've been in, and you don't notice the gear changes either. They're so quick. It starts in seventh, generally, unless yeah. you start particularly steep hill. But so quick, so precise, and oh, that torque, fantastic! Yeah. And obviously, now, huge, huge regenerative braking when you take your foot off the throttle. Yeah, that, that's right. So you, you have um, two settings. You've either got the regen, or you can um, knock it off completely and just coast along. And yeah. you just learn to toggle between the two. It doesn't take long to get used to. So did you notice with the electric vehicle that when you're in the coast mode and you're not using regen and you let it coast, they coast quicker, far, far quicker than a, than a, than a conventional diesel-powered vehicle because there's less resistance in the driveline? You know what? I didn't notice, to be honest. Right. Um, that makes sense, but I didn't really notice. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. One thing I've noticed is, yeah, when you take your foot off the throttle and they coast, they coast and anything else what else did you drive anything else besides a tractor did you try them did you say you drove a try them that's right and you know one of the things i really noticed with those um it it was raining it was a bit windy but it it was like you were driving through a force nine gale because of the the noise because you don't hear the end anymore obviously Um, so is the weather conditions yeah so uh, i think once they've lost the mirrors which is going to happen in a a year or so it'll be even quieter then no no wind rushing around the uh, Around the mirrors. Excellent. So there's a subject while we're on the subject of mirrors. Uh, uptake of mirrorless trucks in the UK, like the mirrorless bins and, and its cohorts that are coming on the MAE and the DAF. Is it, is it a rapid? It is. Certainly with Daimler. I'd say, I, I don't know the percentages, but I'd say the majority are coming through with Miracam. Been some mixed feelings. There has been some resistance, but it's, it's generally picking up. Yeah. Yeah. We've just done a, uh, 
feature on it in the latest magazine and it was interesting because we've been wondering how to do the mirror cam thing and since it arrived and because there's no use going to one man with one truck and he might think it's wonderful but he's only doing one job so we dipped our toe in the water with six different uh carriers and six different applications and yeah yeah generally it was yes but there's, there's it's probably there are elements to it in certain applications that are a work in progress i'd have to say i think the daft system is the best one i've driven so far they've got the, the right size for the screens um it, it just feels good that does yeah no we haven't got that here yet and uh the, have you driven the man one no that's the only one i haven't driven i've driven the and uh and, and the mercedes and how's the preparation for the big show in June going? Yeah, really good. We've now got six, um, hang on, no, eight truck manufacturers and a couple of van manufacturers lined up. So, um, yeah, that's looking good. You're going to cover that off for us in the magazine? You might even be able to send us a couple of videos if we ask nicely. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. do that. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much, Will, for checking in with us again this month. Uh, have a good month and uh, put the sunblock on if the sun decides to come out. And uh, we'll talk to you in about a month's time. All right, cheers, Dave. Thanks a lot. Okay, that's our man in England, Will Shires, uh, who I will be shouting a beer in June. By the way, boys, if you see a little note come through, it might include food too. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you're vegan. <laughs> Keeping thousands of companies at their most productive, the name Mitsubishi Forklifts by Centra Forklifts has become synonymous with quality, reliability and value for money. Our distinctive green trucks can be seen at work sites and in warehouses all around the world. With Mitsubishi Forklifts, reach trucks, order pickers, pallet trucks and more, all serving the backbone for some of the busiest and demanding operations around. Innovative design, cutting-edge technology, and uncompromising quality are the standards that define everything we do. So if you are wanting short or long-term lease options, or to buy, contact the team at Centra Forklifts, your Mitsubishi Forklifts dealer in New Zealand. Phone 0508 367 548 or visit www.mitforklift.co.nz. Right, now we're going to get some ears pricked up on the Keep On Moving Episode 8 podcast, and I am standing in the model barn. Now, any red-blooded New Zealand truck driver or machinery operator will know exactly where the model barn is in the far northeastern corner of the Haraki Plains, and uh, many steering wheel turns right up Oronga Road on the way to anywhere else, uh, while the family wait while whoever's interested goes into the absolute utopia of uh, truck and machinery models uh, in the red shed in this rural hamlet uh, and the business is owned by one Jeremy Welsh and he's known to many far and wide the length and breadth of the country he patronizes shows and the model barn brand is a very very well-known brand in many industries um, we've got some big news haven't we Jeremy yes we have Jeremy's got a sideline that he started after many years of contemplation called Kiwi Replicas. And Kiwi Replicas is almost on the brink of launching. They're just about due to arrive. The blanks are here in full livery. New Zealand die-cast models in classic New Zealand configuration. So the first two cabs off the rank are two FH Volvos and nine-axle uh, configuration. They are stock units. One is a replica of the Gunner Wright uh, uh, 750 truck and the other one is a replica of the TSL 700, FH 700, yep, uh, owned by Wayne uh, Williams and the TSL crew down in Nightcaps. And uh, how did this all come about, Jeremy? Where's the, where, was the, where was the brilliant idea to do some die-cast absolute Kiwi, Kiwi replicas? 
uh, brilliant idea, I don't know, but it was <laughs> it was a plan that's been a couple of years in the making. We set it up in the company in 2020 with the idea of making uniquely Kiwi trucks. I mean, there's plenty of trucks out there that we get from Australia, which are great. They're right-hand drive. They're very similar to here. The trailers are not the same. Uh, there's plenty of trucks from Europe and America, but they're all left-hand drive. So I wanted to make something that was uniquely New Zealand. So that's the reason. The, the, the four-axle truck, five-axle trailer uh, that we see on the road here is what I wanted to build. So Yes, and I remember you ringing me up and mooting the idea of, do you think it would be a goer? And I nearly passed out and fainted at the <laughs> chair when you rang me. But it's not a, it's not a uh, unexpensive exercise, is it, to do this? No, no, it's not. It's a, it's a big commitment. And... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why I started in a COVID year, frankly. I've looked back at that many times, <laughs> wondering what was wrong with me. But however, we've got there. We're just about across the finish line now, With the like you said, with the first two trucks due about the end of June, I'm guessing, yep. to arrive here from Asia. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a big commitment in money, and that money will not be paid back until we've done a, quite a number of them, effectively. Yes. Which is our intention. Yeah, which is your intention. So the um, the first two cabs off the rank, or the first two trucks done, as I said, are the Gunner Wright, uh, Graham Wright Carriers uh, FH, and the TSL uh, FH from Nightcap. So opposite ends of the country. So Gunner was an obvious uh, door knock first up because he's just over the river. And if you mention trucks and models and trucks and anything to Gunner, the answer will always be yes. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. Yeah. Uh, how did we How did we find our way to Nightcaps? Oh, well, I, like you said in your intro there, I'm all over the country and um, I needed to find a, an iconic brand in the South Island. And I asked um, uh, a customer who's a truck driver and truck enthusiast in Wyndham, of all places, um, in Southland, and he suggested TSL, um, mostly because he loves red trucks. So, um, with the help from Dave at New Zealand Trucking, I had a contact number, and and like Gunner, they were um, they never hesitated in, in uh, helping us with the project. No, absolutely not. I'm absolutely sure you wouldn't have got any uh, any uh, hold back from from Wayne Williams. There are a great bunch of people down there, and um, like very similar actually. When you go down there to the to the Graham Wright type, just truck <laughs> enthusiasts, great truck people. We want to make a model of your truck. Yeah, and right, we're into it. So uh, the Volvo thing came about by the Volvo being the first brand off the... Uh, it happened two ways. Firstly, my project manager, who's actually in America, he was involved with the Fonterra model trucks, right. the FM 500s. Yeah. And so I approached him knowing that he'd already dealt with Volvo. Secondly, after looking around the country, um, Volvo's, uh, that FH Volvo, especially the Globetrotter, is very, very common when it comes to stock carrier so I yep. figured that if I chose something that was reasonably well used I would have a good chance of getting multiple companies that I could use so yep. um, <clears throat> nothing wrong with all the other brands of course yep. um, but yeah that, that was the, the two reasons I chose Volvo. Oh well yeah. absolutely I mean if you're going to walk a path walk a path that's been walked before. Like, yeah yeah exactly um, and so the idea is to launch them in batches of two with a total of ten one from the north one from the south each time in iconic brands as you approach people and are and uh, see if they're game and interested. Yes, and we have approached a number of companies, which, of course, at this point are secret. Yeah. Um, and uh, without exception, they've all been quite keen to jump on board. So, yes, the, the once we get these two out and, uh, you know, on the market, then we certainly will be starting on the others and shouldn't be a problem, away, I and, would think. And the great build the tension, build the excitement plan is to not let anyone know who the next two are until the current two are on the... 
Yes, unfortunately, that is right. No, that's great. No, I reckon that's awesome. That's awesome. I reckon that's a great idea. The only people that are going to be selling Kiwi replicas are primarily Model Barn, of course, but there's going to be two companies in Australia that will be selling them, Quarry Diecast and Collector Models. Quarry Diecast is in Queensland and Collector Models is in Ballarat and Victoria. Um, other than that, Model Barn will be the only one selling them um, for obvious reasons. So, yeah, if anyone wants to, to buy... Um, any, then just contact the Model Barn. Yep, and that's info at modelbarn.co.nz? Yes, correct. And the phone number is 0786... 75340. How about that for duet? A duet phone number. There you go. <laughs> so if I'm listening to the Keep On Moving podcast or I'm looking at uh, New Zealand Trucking Magazine Digital Overseas and I'm, a, I'm an enthusiast in uh, the UK, I can just contact the Model Barn and you will ship one off? Absolutely, no problem. No trouble at all. Keep an eye out for the uh, May issue of the magazine. There's going to be an article in the model section on uh, the Kiwi replica models. And um, I, I absolutely, well, I know it will, and, and I absolutely wish you all the best for the project. And long may, we, and of course, the plan is more brands as, as, as income and payback allows it. Yes, indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you to New Zealand Trucking Magazine for your help. Oh, no worries <laughs> at all. No worries at all. Thanks, Jeremy. Cheers, mate. Dave, have you actually seen those Kiwi replicas? Have yep. you seen them? Yeah, okay. So there's two, what they call, um, well, they're not even blanks because they're the finished product. They're, I suppose they're what you call a draft or a prototype model, yeah. that it's as finished as it's going to be bar a tiny few little embellishments that they might see. So they're not production models. They're the very last incarnation before they press go on production, and they are simply magnificent. I bet they are. So both you and Carl, of course, will uh, have orders in? Yes. Uh, is Wendy listening? Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Okay. no. She said to me before, do you think Carl should have three each of those? And I said, absolutely. Fantastic. Thanks, Mike. All right, boys. It's time to talk about the mag for April. Uh, let's go to the editor, Gav. Come on. Magazine. Oh, looking. Yeah, I have to say, it's looking very sexy, if oh, I can you. say that. <laughs> Am I allowed to say sexy when it comes to magazines? I suppose yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I have to say, sexy magazines never had a truck on them once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They do now. Um, yeah, the biggest talking point this month, um, in April, I think definitely will be the first thing everyone sees when they pick up the magazine. Not one, but six trucks on the cover. Because um, our cover feature this month is something uh, very different, um, so we wanted to investigate Mercedes-Benz's Miracam technology and how it works in the Kiwi context. Um, so Dave and I jumped in uh, three units each to find out um, to find out how it works, and yeah, that, that was a very interesting exercise indeed. I'd say. Yeah, because we've been trying to thrash out since the since the technology arrived a couple of years ago. How do we cover it in the book? Because it's no use going to one person with one truck and he says it's great, yeah. and therefore it's great in all applications. Yeah. Because this thing's going to find its way to all facets of the industry. So we thought we'll find six different trucks doing six different things and see if we get six different opinions. And what happened? No, generally speaking, apart from a couple of recurring things that we found as a theme across mm -hmm. the which people can read and find out about. But generally, pass mark. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. People like them. Hmm? Yeah. Then, then we have a shorter track test this month. Um, I jumped into Shackman X3000 Tipper to find out what they're all about. Um, if you're from Auckland, you, you'll be seeing more and more of those on the roads. Uh, you would have seen over the last few months. And, um, yeah, from first impressions, it's, it's an honest workhorse. And um, 
the chaps at Shackman seem to have their, their bases covered with their product and their after-sales offering, and um, I'm sure I'm sure the readers will enjoy reading about that. You featured uh, this month, Carl? Yeah, well, look, we um, we had to uh, cover um, the Hart family and their uh, well, it's the you know the John Murphy Memorial um, Top Truck of the Year. Um, and it's been one of those things with COVID and so forth and things, trying to catch up with it's been the problem. And then it had that little bit of a snot, you know, sort of, well, swipe to the nose um, by a, an angry digger. A rhinoplasty. Uh, a rhino, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but anyway, it all got sorted, and we finally caught up with uh, Josh and Dad Barry and so forth and um, uh, the good team at their Vipal Tyres, Power Retreads, um, you know, and did the handover of the prize, and uh, and it was magic. So the story's in there, but yeah, the John Murphy Memorial yet again, uh, a very, 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 very fitting winners. They were very um, uh, well pleased, it, but I mean fitting. They they it, really deserved it. And it was so, like for me, it was such an incredibly appropriate award ceremony. The way the whole thing actually took place, because the theme was nothing's insurmountable you can still you can you can still come out on top and keep communicating all the way through until you win yeah. <laughs> isn't it because yeah. eventually we found ourselves six months later able to yeah. hand over the prize hand yeah. over the prize exactly yeah. Yeah. but no no great bunch of people and um, yeah it was it was good it was good to finally see that all happen and pull, pull at together. the end of the day Dave they know where you live yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah that's exactly right oh that's exactly right anything else from the magazine Gaff Oh, there's plenty, Muzz. We could go. Top Truck, uh, that's uh, Raymond Transport, Kenworth SAR, um, based down in the Mount with uh, Clark Engineering Triaxle tipping Skelly. Um, yeah, just, just a beautiful, stunning unit, simply done, but with uh, with so much style, it really stands out. Yeah, very proud moment for Carl, of course, with his uh, Pilkington Merck model yeah. build, reaching virtual completion. Yeah, we're just about there. There's just the uh, final little um, uh, customization, little pieces that we'll do next. Um, but yeah, no, it's done. It's 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 built. It's, uh, it's out of the box. Does the uh, finishing the Pilkington truck, Carl, inspire you to finish the fifty-seven other three-quarters built ones that are floating? Yeah, around? yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll have time to do that now. Yeah, oh, we're going to build a trailer for uh, for Kim yet. Yeah. I'm so glad Wendy's listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I going to actually collect some cash on this? Because, yeah, yeah. Okay, um, mag available everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere, all okay. good bookstores, service stations, places, anywhere a discerning truck person would buy their publication. nztrucking.co.nz for subscriptions. Perfect. Just what I wanted you to say. Um, time now for five minutes of business. Uh, Roy Lance from Vasey Child. Yeah, okay. So thanks for having me again. I'll just jump straight in um, and talk about business plans. This one, and I do go into it in more depth in the May issue into the magazine. So if you are looking at it, have a bit more read on that. Um, but basically, a business plan is about taking time out of working on your business, oh, in your business, so you can then work on your business, which we all sort of talk about. But it's a really great, great facilitated platform to do that. Um, there are a huge amount of benefits to doing a business plan. Um, but in a nutshell, it's about setting your direction of your business and where you want it to go. And you want to do it regularly. You want to do it, you know, at the start of financial year and then look at it. It doesn't mean you... If you haven't done it at the start, you can't do it later, but it's something that you review annually. Um, so for a lot of you, it probably will be the end of your financial year. It'll start now. Um, and so it is a really cool time to do it. Uh, what you'll sort of do is look at the outside world, any um, threats, vulnerabilities, any opportunities out there, and then you're going to set that direction, and then you're going to set some goals and some action tasks around it. 
Um, it's also a really great way to be accountable for what you're doing. So um, a big thing is actually about communicating the business plan once you do it, because we are more likely, I think 75% more likely to complete a task if we communicate it to someone and say that we're going to do it. Um, on the flip side of that, you've actually got a really great motivational tool. One of my favorite things um, and favorite times of the year is reviewing my business plan and seeing if I've achieved that and if I've achieved the tasks that I've set for myself. Often we really massively look at these growing to-do lists that we have and get a little bit demotivated for it because in my experience and from everyone around me, to-do lists only grow. They need to get smaller. Whereas what we can do at the end of the year, we can be like, great, we set these goals, we've achieved them, and you can reward yourself for it. Um, often we don't do that. And so it's about being kind to yourself too um, and, and getting that and setting that direction, reviewing it, seeing that you've done it, and then do it again. Um, there's also, great, like, if you can get this facilitated, it's really good. There's also funding out there available to businesses to do that and get oh. it facilitated for you. Yeah. Okay, right. The best business plans are ones that will change as a result of any factors that will change it, you know. So yes. you can't sit there and say, I'm going to achieve this. And then suddenly COVID happens, for instance. Yes, yes. And you need to, you need to adapt to yeah. that. So business plans shouldn't sit in a drawer once they're done to never, ever see the light of day again. You know, the best ones are ones that you're looking at, you're always referring back to, and you're communicating to all your employers. So it's not just great for you as a business owner, but it's also great for anyone that's working for you to be on the same track. No, that's great. No, I enjoyed that. No, that was really good little uh, little chat, actually. And yeah, and it's and it's sad because so much of compliance now is done today from a point of view of of um, of obligation. Is that the word? Rather than you know, like what, like what is it? Uh, you know, the back- it's very yeah, it's very reactive. Um, yeah, that's business it. plans are proactive. You're yes. looking to the future, whereas you know your compliance obligations are always looking to the past. Yeah, uh, and and I mean where's that going to take you and it's about setting those goals and it is my favorite thing to do with clients to be honest it's really exciting um and everyone gets really motivated from it and we often achieve a lot more than what they had previous to doing one fantastic great i don't know if that was five minutes that might have been better business than under seven minutes or something but hey who who cares who cares it was it was a great chat and i hope it's got a few minds uh sparked out there and um your eyes available with your system services team. Tell us how you get hold of you. Uh, your best thing is just to jump on the Basie Child website, basiechild.co.nz, and um, get hold of us through that. Excellent. Fantastic. Thanks for the time. You can get back to your busy to-do list, which I'm sure is always growing, and we'll talk again next month. Thank you. Okay, we are sort of in that, uh, in that business zone at the moment. Uh, it always worries me when a salesman wants to get... <laughs> on the podcast. Matthew Smith, how are you? Hey, Mars, how are you? Yep, and uh, look, uh, we've got a big, had a big project on for the last couple of months, and uh, it's something we're really excited about. It sets us apart at uh, New Zealand Trucking for on, on a number of on a number of uh, fronts, and it's all about uh, you you taking control of the sale of your truck to industry. And the project lead on it has been my has been my incredible business partner Matthew Smith, and uh, he's been the project lead on it. So I'm going to hand it across to him now to tell us about it. Okay, guys, so, yeah, look, we looked at the opportunity of um, truck drivers out there or truck owners who want to sell trucks that really their only option is Trade Me currently. So we wanted to give them an industry-based solution. 
uh, we get a number, we get we get you know, hundreds, thousands to our website, Truck and Light Commercial Trader, every month. So the opportunity was for them to be able to sell privately their own vehicle. So we've got the audience, they've got the truck, we've got a package, which we believe is, you know, is um, the best in the market. You know, starting from 39 bucks, you can sell your truck to industry-related and industry-related uh, folks out there who are looking for your truck. Okay. So how does, how does someone become involved with that? Well, you simply just visit the uh, Truck and Light Commercial Trader website, which is uh, truckandlightcommercialtrader.co.nz, or you can get there through the New Zealand Trucking website. You'll see the links. You'll see uh, a, list, a red button there for private listings. You click on the red button. You populate it with all the information. You press go, give us your credit card because we want some of your money. And then um, we sell your truck for you. I knew there was money involved somewhere. There's always. <laughs> you don't get to have as much uh, surgery as I've had yeah. without having money in there yeah, somewhere. Yeah, oh, yeah. And now you've got to go back and get all the corrective stuff. Done. <laughs> yeah. I think that uh, plastic surgeon should lose his ticket, to be honest. <laughs> looking for a job or looking for staff within the transport industry? Then New Zealand Transport Jobs is here to help you. We have listings from transport companies throughout the country seeking Class 2, 4 and 5 drivers right now. And if you are struggling to find good drivers, then contact Chris on 027-573-2005. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Uh, I just have to mention Dave Ching would normally um, have a contribution, but uh, unfortunately the family went down with uh, COVID, so that slowed him down a little bit. Ching, Either... he was all right there, wasn't he? No, he, he was fine. Yeah, he was good. Yeah. I think he was fine. Yeah. Um, either that or he completely forgot to do the interview, and, um, well, that's... Pretty common excuse just, nowadays. Yeah, just blame COVID, mate. Blame COVID. New Zealand Trucking Association. The big event in uh, the end of November is officially called, Dave? The TMC Trailers Trucking Industry Show, November 25th and 26th at the Canterbury Agricultural Park. And we're going to be a big part of that, right? Oh, mate, we're going to be a huge part of that. Now let's find out a bit more. Here's Rebecca. Uh, we are insanely busy. I think with the, the new confidence in events and the gatherings outdoors, all sort of restrictions easing, we've just had like a massive influx of exhibitors and sponsors and people ch- signing up for the show. So, yeah, it's been super busy but really exciting. Excellent. Um, and you, you can feel an energy building, you can feel an excitement, and, and, and yeah. uh, it's going to be really busy at the showgrounds, I, I would take it. Absolutely. We're expecting record numbers. I mean, we've already sold out 70, 80% of our exhibitor space. So if you're needing to book a site, I'd really recommend getting in quickly. Um, we, yeah. So it's, yeah, a lot of excitement building. Absolutely fantastic. And of course, there's lots of things on inside the boundaries of the broader. Uh, huge show. There's the UDC Show and Shine. There's the Palfinger Crane uh, Championships. There's the uh, New Zealand Truck Driving Championships, and uh, so there's there's like little boutique things going on within the boundaries. It's not just a truck show. It's an it's an everything show, isn't it? It's a complete trucking festival, really. It's, that's a um, great that's a great turn to phrase. A complete it, trucking it festival. Well, that's kind of what it's become. I mean, it's a massive step up from the 2018 show. Um, we've introduced obviously three huge competitions um, at this event. The TR Group Driving Championships, like you said, the Palfinger Crane Championships, the big Lieber all-terrain uh, crane competition. So, yeah, those three things are, are massive events in themselves um, running at the shows. I mean, the appetite for a show like this is going to be huge because, like, it's been so long and we've had so many disappointments, you know. Absolutely, yeah. And even with the borders opening, we've, got, we've had exhibitors from Australia um, booking in. So, and a, you know, big contingent of, of Aussies wanting to come over for it. So, I think it'll even be an international event, which is awesome. 
and of course, great, uh, great um, uh, ben, uh, beneficiaries, the the Child Cancer Foundation and the Ronald McDonald House um, get get the proceeds donated to. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, as always, all our show proceeds donated to charities. So yeah, really like to get as many people along. So the more people that come, the more money we can raise for them, which is yeah, an added bonus. Fantastic. And so I've just heard this little chat between you and I, and I'm keen to get involved and interested. And I want to grab one of those last uh, slots and spaces or get involved somehow. Who who do I talk to? How do I get in contact? Absolutely. Um, You talk to me, drop me an email or go to the website and you can find all the details. It's probably the best way. So the New Zealand Trucking Association website, and then we've got a special dedicated section for the show. It's got all the details. You can download the show information pack and you can contact me from there. Uh, we'll touch base regularly on the months leading up to it between now and then, and you can focus in on different things and, and give us the detail on what's happening and tell us how progress is going. Yeah. Fantastic work, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, thanks, Dave. Coming soon, it is the uh, feature interview, Bill Brown, the full interview coming shortly on the Keep On Moving uh, podcast. Sounds like uh, you interviewed a hero, Dave. Oh, well, look, one of the things I want to do in the podcast interviews is make sure that uh, we get a fair share of, like, pure driver interviews, like guys who etched out a career behind the the wheel from start to finish and forged themselves a reputation and and are icons on the New Zealand highway system. And there's no one that sort of ticks all those boxes any better than, than Bill Brown. And... And I have to say here that it's a it's a raw Bill Brown interview. Like, yeah, yeah. so if you uh, if the kids are listening to the Keep On Moving podcast and you're a parent at home, just have a listen first to the feature <laughs> interview, <laughs> and just uh, make sure that that you're happy for them to or for them to go on because I've left this raw because if I don't, it's not Bill Brown. Exactly. This is the Keep On Moving podcast with New Zealand Trucking Media. Time now for our feature interview, Dave McCoy. Chatting with Bill Brown. And before we get started, let's uh, run through a few pace notes on this one. The first one is parental guidance is required with regard to the language. Bill's a very real and raw person, and those who know Bill know that, and those who know Bill know that if I did an interview that wasn't like that, that wouldn't be an interview with Bill Brown. So I've left Bill Brown in there, heart and soul. The second thing is you'll hear a little babbling brook in the background, and that's the little creek that's just running past the idyllic little spot that Bill and Sue now call home in the Athenry Gorge. Lastly, I've broken the interview into uh, three parts, early and early-ish years, uh, sort of middle years, and then rounding out with the um, Bill's last years of his career. Um, so sit back and enjoy what I have enjoyed recording immensely, a great couple of hours of New Zealand trucking folklore. Okay, everybody, hi and welcome to our podcast episode 8 feature interview. And what I'm going to do in the feature interviews uh, quite often is do a, a, driver, a driver-specific interview, like uh, a driver who, who has etched himself out a legendary status on the highways and byways of the country. And uh, the first one uh, off the rank for me was such an easy choice, it was unbelievable. Uh, I've known him for a long time myself and... Um, and he's, he is one uh, Bill Brown. Welcome to the Keep On Moving podcast, Bill Brown. Thank you, Dave. As everyone knows, the podcast is just the yarn with good buggers. And, um, but there's a theme that I was thinking about in regard to Bill. And I come to a quote from the late, great Clary Peterson, who is quoted as saying in the Guy Spur article in the trucking magazine of 2004, in reference to Bill Brown, he said he's an incredibly high-productivity driver and a laugh a minute to have working for me. 
he said I'd have him back tomorrow. He's such a fun guy to have as an employee. Clary was so true, and Bill's the epitome of someone who hard work doesn't have to be a chore. And I think half the problem these days is that too many people work as something that they have to do in between their life instead of making work their life, and no-one has made work their life more than Bill Brown. In 2004, he'd amassed 50 years of driving, and we're now at 2022. And how long since you've been off the road, Bill? 18 months. 18 months. So I turned 80 in July. Yep, so how many years did you end up doing? 67 and a half years as a driver, but 65 as a licensed driver. As a licensed driver. Excellent. And you were saying that if you're, um, if it wasn't for uh, the slightly failing eyesight, you'd still be there powering up and down the highways now? Certainly would be, yep. Yep, certainly would be. I only have a class one licence now. Right. No yes. sight in my right eye and failing sight in my left eye where I get um, injections every month or every six weeks uh, for wet macular degeneration. Right, yep. And do you hook five trailers on behind the car just for shits and giggles? And... No. <laughs> if, that, if, that, if that happens, I'll let Sue drive. Because <laughs> I know we're bound to get knotted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. No, that's awesome. And, of course, we're sitting here, sitting with us, of course, is uh, Bill's wife, Sue, and uh, she's been a massive part of the fabric of his life <clears throat> over the years uh, since they were wed. When were you wed? You, you did a chivalrous act of helping a damsel in distress on the side of the road, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. I was heading back from the mount one day and going through Waihe down by the um, Phoenix Palms or whatever you call them, and I saw this courier van parked on the opposite side of the road with a hot-looking blonde chick <laughs> standing there looking a little bit pissed off. And a little boy standing beside her. So I pulled up, bare-chested, pair of shorts, bare feet, wandered across just then the Ministry of Works guys decided to pull up on her side of the road. And I told them very nicely to... Am I allowed to say it? Yep. <laughs> to fuck off. I'll... <laughs> I'll look after this, you can fuck off. So they hopped in their truck and did. So I showed Sue how to drive the wheel, the van up onto the spare wheel, got underneath and jacked it up and chased I said to her, you know, um, courier van, you uh, really could do with a CB in this, this van. She said, I've often thought about that, it would be quite handy. I said, I know somebody that's got a couple in the shed and he lives in two account. When was that? What year was that? 1985. Right. And beginning of night. Actually, might have even been the last... No, it was the beginning of I think it might have even been between Christmas and New Year. It was very early. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yep, so then we started meeting for coffee and stuff like that. And Sue decided that I could come up and fit the CB in her van. I tried fitting a few other things as well, but I, I've got a couple of knockbacks in that department. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we like we pass on the road, or we ring each other. We never had him, had cell phones. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I'll be in Waihe at ten thirty tomorrow if you're around, and we're meeting for coffee. And then uh, Sue decided, or we decided that Sue could come and live up in Tuakau and look after the house while I was away because I was living on my own, working away. Long, long weeks, long weeks, yeah. So yeah. are we in the Par Bear era here? Or? No, East we're, Line. We're back in the East Line. But, East Line era. Yeah, but that's, that's, uh, I, the East Line was, was an eight, uh, 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 
It was registered in 85, but I actually got it in 84. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, just the S-Line, because I had a job doing containers on behalf of Jepson Shipping Line. Yep. Between Auckland and the Mount. And the company that I had worked for previously and were still working for told me they had this contract for Jepson, but it was really only a catchwork thing. Yep. So um, that only lasted for a short while. Uh, and then, of course, back on bloody line all again, Auckland-Wellington, Auckland-Wellington, Auckland-Wellington. And a lot of those days was Auckland to Wellington, unload in the morning, around to the wool stores or somewhere, put a container on, up to Auckland, unload, round to one of the freight forwarders, usually main freight or Transiland when they were going. Yeah, Transiland, yeah, yeah. yeah. Transiland, um, Transiland and main freight mainly at that point in time, and back to Wellington. Had a couple of hours sleep when I got to Wellington, unload, the same again next day, and it was almost, it was literally around a day. Yeah, yeah, literally. yeah. A guy, um, Harris, that works for Andersons down in Wellington, <laughs> when I was doing Transiland stuff, he was doing a, a two-rangy swap with an ERF, and I'd be up to Auckland and back, and he would come in in the morning and say, oh, where did you swap? <laughs> in Auckland <laughs> mate I've been to Auckland unloaded and reloaded and back again and a lot of weeks my very best week um, I had helped a guy out I won't mention his name helped a guy out and he used to service the truck for me yep. he said to me one day you know you did nearly 10,000 k's this week which is a little bit over the top I said nah 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 I did five rounds to Wellington. On the Saturday, I ran a load of spuds from Pookie to Foxton for a Foxton fry, back up to Auckland, with, back up to Pookie with empty bins, and then loaded a load of steel on Sunday morning down to the Hawks Bay and back. It worked out about 8,600 k. Jeez. In a S-line. That's hooking in. Yeah, okay. yeah. That truck, it was a good truck. When I sold it, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. But when I sold it, it was two years and eight, nine months, coming up nine months, and done 610,000k. Yeah, all in the hands of one man. In the hands of one driver. You know, shift trucks are hardly doing that. But i got to say, and a lot of people will back me up, I wasn't a nice person to know. <laughs> no, no, you didn't step on my toes or piss me off. Yeah. Because if I didn't like you, you just got to smack in the mouth. Yeah. It was as simple as that. And that's the way it was, pretty yep. much. Yeah. Yeah. And some of our fun times, the <coughs> best times, of course. My old mate Errol, and you probably already know the story about how we would go into a truck stop. There was a brief place in um, the back of the Caltex there in Wairu for a while. So this is Errol Sheehan, Dr. Death. Yeah. Yep. yep, the wrestler. Yeah. Just everyone that, just while you're listening, is like, the nickname Dr. Death came because he was a se- semi-professional. Profi- he was a professional. Professional wrestler, yeah. yeah. Yep. And... And um, we would go and often do it at, at Maxis because Stad Park hadn't got going then. Often do it at Maxis and walk in or we'd be travelling together and one of us would go in first, usually him, go and each other, boys, 
Where's that fucking Bill Brown? I'm going to smack his fucking head and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that to the mongrel. And I'd come walking in behind him and Dr. Fruitcake, you fucking big poster. Right, <laughs> she's on. And we'd start scraping cheeses. <laughs> and one night, I remember quite well, there was very briefly a place opened up around by the railway station in Taihapi. Open at nights. And we went in there one night and we were doing it because a lot of these, nearly all of these guys were the two Rangi 500 guys. They'd be in there and they'd, they didn't know who the hell we were. And we'd start doing this. <laughs> and we looked around and we had the whole fucking place to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> How to clear it and get the best seats. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. So, righto, Bill, let's go back to where it all started. How did it, how did the, where was the, how did the legend begin? My father was a welderer, part of a welderling empire, yeah. which was now Brown Brothers, yep, yep, yep. Uh, which was once Brown and Sons. Right. Okay. 1950, there was a big dispute in the family. Um, I used to have to go to work with my father quite a bit as a little kid, but I, as a 10-year-old, we moved to Bucklands Beach. My father had his own drill rig and uh, on a Ford V8 Jalbar. Oh, yeah. yeah, with a two-speed diff, and he bought a Dodge 4x4 water wagon, which you probably know that water wagon services a drill rig yep. for yep. the drill wash. And time went along, he was a bit of a pisshead, my father. Blew a lot of money, couldn't afford to pay staff. So around about when I was about 12, he taught me how to drive the Dodge. Right, yep. Left-hand drive. Okay, so it's only a two or three-ton truck. Okay, four-wheel drive, but it's, it's to be it was the machine. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and started off, I was allowed to drive it if we were working, drilling in a paddock somewhere, because I had to take a lot of time off school to work. Uh, we'd be drilling in a paddock somewhere. I would be allowed to drive the Dodge, even from here down to the Wairau Creek down the road there yep. and pump water into the thing back to the wreck. Yep. And then all of a sudden, he, because we were living in Bucklands Beach and a lot of the tap places out there were still on tank water, yep. uh, Pakaranga was still on tank water. Is that right? Yeah. Far out. We're, we're Pakaranga Shopping Centre is now. The yep. old Pakaranga where the white horse and that was, that was part of my great-grandparents' farm. Far out. And across the road, um, the new sub, which was the new subdivision. But I started delivering the first load of water. I delivered from Buckland Beach to Pakaranga as a buddy 12-year-old in this left-hand drive dodge. And time went along, and I was taking more time off school and more time and working more and working more. And I was a scrawny prick. I'll show you a photo up there. I was a real scrawny prick driving this bloody dodge. And I never got paid. But the payment was being allowed to take my brothers on occasion to the movies at Howick. Right. From Buckland Speech in the Dodge on yep. a Saturday night. Okay. And then we got a job drilling for gold up behind the um, Coromandel Hospital. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's a road goes up in there beside the hospital. And that would have been about 1953. And that had me 13 years old. Yeah. And I drove the Dodge from Auckland to Coromandel. <laughs> Left-hand drive. Yeah. The worker who worked for the old man in the rig, me in the Dodge, and the old man in the Land Rover with the caravan on. Yeah. 
and this was a bit of a sad part, but the Dodge had up on top of the water tank, because he had trouble getting a fuel pump for the Dodge, which was gravity fed. Right. Fuel tank was up on top of the water tank. And it got a petrol block going up the coast, and this is something I've never forgotten, and I've never forgiven my father for. So, pulls off where I can, you know, choke, 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 to get you to a one, somewhere you get off the road. And I was leaning over the bonnet, and, you know, the Dodge has a mudguard like a GMC. Yeah, yeah. I was leaning over there with the pipe off the fuel pump, blowing it. Next thing, whack, whack, whack on my fucking ass with a piece of alcohol pipe. I started blubbing. What have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? You should have used, I should have used the acetylene torch to blow the fuel clean instead of blowing it by. But mate, 13 years old, I didn't know how to use oxygen or acetylene. You don't know what you don't know. And I knew how to blow in it and I got it unblocked. But that, I got a whack for that. That's how unreasonable he was. Right? So we, we did that job. And then a few other jobs that came around. I will drive the Dodge because it was it really all intents and purposes the Dodge of my truck. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then, then between my grandfather and one of his son, uh, one of my father's brothers, they decided to buy a twelve thousand acre bush block at Great Barrier Island, nineteen fifty four. Yeah, it should have been a wild old island back in nineteen fifty four. Yeah, um, there were people who had tried it before us. Um, it was a well, it was called the Arundel Estate, but there were people who had it before. So they went broke. They had a TD9 International BMD wheel tractor, uh, discs and stuff like that. So off we goes to Great Barrier Island, and I should have been doing correspondence, but I didn't. Okay, I had to work like a man because there was no income. Okay, they're doing it out of working capital, developing this block of, yeah, yeah, yeah. of which the area where we were, which is the Whangapaa Basin, um, was all scrub. Yeah. And some steep shit and stuff. So, out we go. I do days on the bulldozer or days on the wheel tractor. Oh man, I was vice versa in developing, crushing, sweeping, and shit like that. And then we had a big shed to be built, needed the timber. So that's when we off we went round to one of the roads that we'd helped build um, and started falling some trees and carting them on this trailer yep. over to the forestry mill at Port Fitzroy. Yep. And I've got photos in there of us working in that little mill. And uh, then the fight, my uncle and my grandfather pulled out, left my father with a new partner who came up from Wellington. Right. We were getting a bit of outside work for the council over there, Ministry of Works. Yep. Bit of roading, bit of tracking, bit of, you know, what in. So I would some days be out on the TD9 working for them, bulldozing or what, when we weren't crushing. Yeah. We needed all this to get... I would be sent away in the winter to work, on, and I would go and work on the towboats. Yep. And the scow, the Rahuri, which used to service the barrier. Yep. I work on the Curlew with Harry Stanaway, which was owned by Ropes, who were friends of the old man. And my money all had to go back home. Yeah, yeah, it was all part of keeping the coffers up. Keep, keep, keeping the family fed, because yep. there's eight of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay? The old man and mum and eight kids. 
I was oldest. Um, did that, back on the bulldozer, and then we got a, another bigger job come up, so the old man bought HD7. That was charming. And we would contra that. Some days I'd go and drive it, other days. But my biggest job I did on the TD9 was opening up the Claris Airstrip. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pushing all the scrub back and pushing sand back out onto the beach because sand blow, blows up onto the, the thing. And I actually literally, literally lived in a little hut out there like this, about yep. this size, um, with no cooking facility. The Ministry Works boss would bring me around a bit of food yep. and feed me. And oh. that's where I slept while I was doing that. I did that for about 10 days over a couple of periods yeah. and then we got a GMC six wheel drive tip truck yep. and I started driving that you know, cutting a bit of metal and doing what we did um, cutting up short logs because they had about a 12 foot deck we couldn't tow the big trailer we had with the GMC because we never got it round the corners yep. so we just had used used that for the logs mainly cutting unless we needed long timber. Yep. Um, and I started doing a bit with the GMC, and then I was 14, coming up to 14. We got um, a visit from the local John Darmory. Yeah. <laughs> he said to the old man, you know, I've had a complaint about your son there that can hardly see over the steering wheel driving this truck. And the old man said, well, he's our, I was the only employee apart from the old man. Yeah. He's the, he's the worker. We can't afford to pay anybody. So the cop was very understanding, Arthur Brown, said, right, right to the Auckland City Council. They administered the transport. Like, you remember City Council traffic ops and yep, stuff? Yep, yep. In the day, and it so happened, the guy that the old man wrote to, his son had previously worked for my father, so there was a bit of a oh, you hold my hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, the cop come up, and I was 14. I hadn't turned 15 yet, and took me for tests on the one of the bulldozers, yeah. the wheel tractor, and the bloody Land Rover. Why I don't know. <laughs> and the GMC. Even hooked the trailer on, towed it round, and, and it was the sort of trailer that you could push the the turntable around to the stoppers and push it backwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, piece of tape. Yeah. Bit of that. And he said, but I'm not going to give you your licence, I can't, until you turn 15. Right. I was 15, and he arrived up within a day or two, and after the old man ringing him, or mum ringing him up and stuff, arrived up with my full licence. Yeah. Everything. Yeah, because you would have had everything... Wheels, wheels, yeah. tracks, trailer. W, yeah, WT, WTR. Never had truck and trailer in those days. Oh, yeah. It had, just had articulated. Right. Articulated truck. Yeah. But I had the whole lot. Just like that. And time went along and it wasn't that much later that it folded. But because of the lack of income, Yeah. it folded. So we bought the GMC, the Land Rover and the HD7 back to the mainland. Yep. HD7 being Alice Charles. Yep, 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 yep. So you and left there until... The TD9 stayed there. Stayed there, yeah. Yep. Yeah, but was just pretty much the old man grabbing what was his yep. and leaving the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had no use for TD9. But the Alice, the Alice Chalmers belonged to... It really belonged to my grandfather. Didn't really belong yeah, yeah. To.
Okay, we brought all that over to the mainland. He sold sold the Alice Chalmers, bought a, a jinker pole trailer for the GMC. Yep. Took the body and hoist off and sold that. And away I went native logging. And didn't stop for many years. So that's in the uh, King Country area? or That was in the Waikato. Yep. Uh, mainly out of Raglan yep. and down down towards Kafia, down up, down past the Aotea Harbour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down there, Aramiro, Karakariki, out by Water Water. To my uncle's another family member. My uncle's mill in Narawaya. Yeah, some pretty good country in there to be dragging logs out of too, um, eh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And during that I would go and come winter because I was living at home, all my money still went to the to the old man. I never got a fucking cent. My old man owned the logging truck, but he was driving an RL Bedford for my uncle, getting wages, and I was driving my old man's truck and getting no wages. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, um... So the GMC make-up gear, gearbox-wise and stuff was... Well, they, they, they were the truck of the day. Yeah. Five and four, or four? No, five and two. Five and two. Five-speed five gearbox, two-speed transfer case, as yep. we called it. Yeah. And another lever for your front wheel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Typical place. Um, but now we had some pretty big loads on it. Yeah, pretty big. Uh, for a two-and-a-half-ton truck, we were often having 20 and 25-ton net. Yeah, yeah. You know? um, slow. <laughs> over the Raglan Divi and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but... In the winter time, I would go and work for what was Brown and Sons became Brown Brothers. Yeah. And I would go and work for them on the drilling. Yeah. Which was quite convenient because the old man and it was his brothers. They'd split up years ago, but they were back matey again because all my pay went to the home again, didn't it? Yeah. And eventually I got married and I thought, well, yeah, I've got no money. Yep. I decided to pull the pin on the old man and I went and got a job for two days with Waikato Earthmovers driving a TD24 on what became one of the first soil cement stabilisation jobs in New Zealand oh yeah okay yeah 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 the steering clutch one of the steering clutches it was those progressive steering things where you not like the others where you pull it and the track disengages so yeah the further back you pulled, the slower it went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something happened to it, so they put me on on a water cart for a day, and then there was no work for the water cart, so they they put me on a lollipop stick, which was a little bit below my dignity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I happened to be talking to the grader driver, who was the overseer on the job. It was a Waikato Earth Movers job, but... Um, J.D. Wallace had a grader there and the guy on the grader was a chap called Jim Davis J.G. and W. Davis, Cambridge before it became any of that Jim Davis was, you probably know, was Tibby's uncle and I was talking to Jim Davis and he said, you've done logging before haven't you? I said, yeah, I have a bit he said, native, I said, yeah I'll get you a job he said, come with me at lunchtime so he took me up to Ross Todd Motors and he was just quite a nice-looking petrol-powered RF-174 sitting there, logging truck. To me, that was a big piece of gear. Had a chat with this Harold Davies guy, and he said, um, when can you start? I need a driver like now. 
I said to Jim, Jim Davies, what happens if I don't go back? He said, it's your call. Go with, go with Harold Davies. Good on him, eh? Yeah. So I got in the truck, took Harold Davies for a drive out to Cogswell Road out over the Raglan Divvy. I made one mistake. It's the first time I've driven a four-speed auxiliary, a three-speed auxiliary. I stopped to change into the low, lowest underdrive. He said, I don't do any of that. But when we were loading on the skids, I got up and started chopping a groove in the log to put a chain in to stop it moving. Harold Davies said, what are you doing? I said, I'm putting the chain on like we did it when I was working with the old man. He said, you don't need to do that. He said, the weight of the log. Holds it there, no change. If you need to chain, chain the trailer, but don't chain the truck. And that was first-hand knowledge from him because he had a log chained to a truck and tipped over and he'd got head brain damage. That's Should why he right? never drove, yeah. Anyway, um, away I went on that and come winter once again, it was either putting staunchons on, because I'm made of chocks and chains. That's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was either putting staunchons on and going doing a bit of pine and pataru or pine to the Nova Tucker or to the mount, or going, one year I went and worked in town carrot in the winter, yeah. in coal and firewood. Yeah. You know, like the old coal man used to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Only because my best mate of the time, he was working there with this Doug Cook, D.H. Cook carrying in Hamilton. So I, I went and did that one winter. Another winter I went and worked for Keith A. Holmes at Hora 2. Building or carting shifting, them? Shifting houses. Shifting houses, yeah. Yeah, well, they uh, BCF 180. Uh, took six, the time I was there over that winter, we took six houses down to Lockenbach from That would have been neat. From Hora 2. That was a job and a half. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we couldn't go, we didn't go down Highway 5, what we know as Highway 5. We had to go to, through Rotorua, up to Kaingaroa, and go across, turn off at Wai Rapakau on the yeah, way yeah, to Kaingaroa. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Turn off and go across the high level. Oh, yeah, is and that come, right? And come out at 60 bar 8, yeah. down that end, yeah. and then, then carried on, because that was still the old, old Napier Tower in those days. Yeah. yeah. But up from 60 bar 8 up up to Rangatite was pretty, pretty cruisy going. Yeah, we did a few of those. Some good experience I had there. We, were, we stayed... Used to stay in that old Rangatite pub. Yeah, yeah. The one that's no longer there by the bridge. We had a cop from Rotorua, because the cops used to do the piloting. Yeah. They, a cop from Rotorua called Mac Batiri or Makairi. Oh, yeah. Mark yeah. Wanzeffer. I think Warwick Johnson would have mentioned Mac Makairi, eh? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, he'd be an old guy now. He'd probably be older than me. Okay. But he was the traffic cop. And one of the boys said to me, go and chase him for you, because he was in the pub on the pistol bar. Oh, I go, yeah, with one of those stubby 10-ton hydraulic jacks on the back of the room. Mm, just got the wheel off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, after hours drinking, you know, up there, this pub would stay open all night. Six o'clock closing days, remember? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And next thing he come in, he was fucking storming. He was going bloody eight. Who jacked my fucking car up? I'm gonna oh, my man. And I had to fess up <laughs> and go and let the, the jack down and take the jack out. He says, You bastard. He said, You're lucky I didn't hit you up the jack. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny at all. Oh, where's your sense of humor? Yeah. yeah, and then back on back on logging again for a few years. And I decided I wanted to have my own truck. So I went and asked my granddad, who was very, very affluent. 
my paternal granddad. Very skinflint too. But and every penny was a prisoner. Oh shit! Yeah. Anyway, I went and saw him, and I found a logging truck, which was a chap Stuart Mawson and um, Tika Woody was selling. So I went, granddad sorted it out, and the truck was working out of the up the Fio, but up right up up the um, Oroiras down to some days down to Edgecombe to what was Cowrie Timber at Edgecombe because Fletcher's just then had bought Cowrie Timber yep. and the rest of the time main job was into Fletcher's mill at Nongataha oh, yep. Yep, one yep, load yep. a day and I started doing that and I thought shit I can make this work with two loads a day so why am I not surprised that he thought that <laughs> so I started doing two loads a day only for a few, less than a few weeks and the winter was coming but I want to keep this up and who happened to come along and see me but a chap called Sid Adams Lofty Adams who you may or may not have heard of 6 foot 11 6 pom. foot 11 6 foot 11 pom nose like this <laughs> ugly but big and strong took him out the bush, started doing the job, so for a few weeks we were doing two loads a day, and Sid Adams, I, can, I said to Sid Adams at the time, he was working for a guy called Way Carter, who used to cut the timber from the Waipa mill to the Rotorua rail, okay, yeah. Rotorua was a railhead, Way Carter had those old round nose and those bonneted BMCs, and I said to Sid one day, how come you have to have two jobs, Sid? That's all this maintenance I've got to pay. Oh, okay. Yeah, so, anyway. So he was doing a load for you and driving those... He was, he, was doing, he was doing... In the morning he was starting at like 5 or 6 o'clock and then he'd come over at 2 o'clock in the afternoon and go 6 or 7 hours yep. or more yep. down your areas. Yep, yep, yep. He was really working. Big man. And um, time went along. They started, that's when they used to close the roads. The class of the road went down to class three. Yep. Fletcher, so I was out coming in one day and the bush boss was on his way and he said, what are you doing working? I said, well, I'm here to cart logs. He said, no. He said, you knock off. The council have downgraded the road. So here's me with a truck. Yep. Paying for memory 700 and something dollars on pounds a month off this truck. So my uncle Frank, who back to the one in Narrow here, said to me, I'll give you a job. He said, so-and-so down in Rotorua owes me quite a bit of money. Um, if you want to go and bring cart pine back to offset that debt, I'll give you a job. So I started doing a bit of native Uncle Frank, and then I went to Staunchens and I'm pirating, and then my granddad said to me one day, what are you doing for work? And I said, oh, I'm taking logs to Uncle Frank. I was pirating logs. I, I never had a licence to go there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep, yep. So this is all against the rail stuff? Yeah. Yep. Yep. From from Borderlands Forest to Marawahia. Yep. Back in the day. Yep. That's a, that, that, that's a little beyond the limit. My granddad didn't like my Uncle Frank, who was his nephew. Right, yeah. A family feud again. So, on... Reason the truck one Saturday. Oh no, he come out during the week and the truck had been stuck out in the bush because it was wet. And he said, when do you think you'll get it? I said, a couple of days dry. 
Well, fuck me, on a Saturday he turned up at my place with a man that I knew, walking around, talking, like, hey, Fred, and this is Fred Beasley, who was John Beasley's dad. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'd worked alongside John Beasley when I worked for Harold Davies on a job we did out of the Rangitoto bush down Deke Woody Way. You know, I'd passed the time of day and got under the truck and kept breathing. I thought my granddad had brought him to look at it because it was a thing of, the, of beauty, a fibreglass cab thing. Yep, and was it was Leyland Hippo, two, wasn't it? Leyland Hippo. Yep. There was only one or two around, well, three, four. And I, I was quite proud of this bloody truck. Anyway, they were talking away and I could sort of hear bits. Next thing I see Fred Beasley shake my grandfather's hand and uh, he hopped in the truck. I said, where'd you go? And my grandfather said, I sold it to him. <laughs> and I'd paid about a year and a half oh, no. of £700 a month off that debt. So what did you sell it to him for? Because you were working for the nephew? Because I was working for my Uncle Frank. And that was a bit of sad history that didn't involve me and that didn't involve my Uncle Frank. It involved my granddad and Uncle Frank's father, who was incidentally Bill Brown, yeah, yeah, yeah. As well, over a shotgun when their father died. Went way back to there. Holy so it was where a faction of the family didn't speak to the other factions. That's and that, that actually fucked my head a bit. Yeah, oh, you would have been standing there with a grease gun and a bunch of spanners and your truck drove out the drive. Yeah. And so what I did, I went back to Harold Davies for a short while. Then my uncle Argyle bought a 190. He was working for Uncle Frank, this is my father's youngest brother. And he bought a 190 off a guy called Eric Hayes up in Mayuka and he said, I want you to come and drive it. A L190, two-speed auxiliary. And I'd already had a partial exemption to work for Harold Davies because I'd lost my licence for dangerous driving. Right. So I went and drove my Uncle Argyle's 190. Right. Not thinking of changing my partial exemption. Oh. Okay. And one of my mates was knocking off a chick up Alicott's Road and I went up there to see where he was and this girl's father come out and said, if Brian Hands comes around here, I'm going to kill the bastard and I'll kill you too if he's mate, which is a long thing to say to me because I give him the buffo. Yeah. Quite a serious buffo. Hopped in the truck and we know him. The sheriff's come and got me. Six weeks in Mount Eden. <laughs> For reach your partial exemption and assault come out of Mount Eden, what am I going to do? And a, a cheque arrived from Fletch, from Uncle Frank for the last payment while I was, all the shit was going on. So me and a couple of mates decided to hop on a plane and go to Australia. Ran away from my wife. We had four kids. I went over there for a while and I drove up and down the Hume Highway but for Anzac. Sydney, Melbourne. Sydney, Sydney Melbourne. Produce. So what year is that? That was about 64. 64? Yeah. Um, the Hume would have been a wild old track in those days, wouldn't it? Oh, it was, yeah. It yeah. Was. But a bit like, no, a bit like our Highway 4. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we, we drove it last couple of years ago. Oh, did you? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And a camper there. Um, I was had a shared a flat in Uraa with a female who happened to be the John Darmory's fiancé. Right. I don't like telling this in front of Sue. And the mates had a flat in Francis Street, Bondi. Yeah. So some weeks I was there, and sometimes I was... Well, it ended up that the relationship between the gendarmerie 
and the fiancé fell apart. I should say not my doing, but I can't. <laughs> but he, I had a Vauxhall Vector, and he used to hound the shit out of me if I was ever around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no um, passports in those days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. got on the plane. So I came home. Did a short stint for Stevie's on the North Shore. Yeah. On a subdivision. Um, Machine operating, obviously. Yeah. 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 On an HD6, actually. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I did come and did a little bit for some guys from Charleston's, from Tipahu, on Stony Creek Block. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that right? Yeah, that's when they were doing the Kopu Hikawa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know what? Yeah, yeah. 64. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so you were in there and amongst them with all of the Billy Bond and Trevor Masters well, and all those guys? No, I went on that job. They but you were, were on another road. contract further down. I was, I was on Stony Creek. Land developed. Yeah, so you never, you never sort of saw each other, those no, individual contracts? No, no. no. Oh, I, could, okay. I could see and hear the machines working different, different places. Right, yeah. Yeah, then I needed a job with a house. Briefly got a job on a farm at Horsham Downs. And while I was on that, there was a lot of pine trees. And I hit the guy, farmer up, okay, if I cut all these trees down and sell them to my Uncle Frank, we go 50-50. Yep. So I did that for a while. And I didn't particularly like this farm guy. So I saw a job advertised in Waipu on a farm. Yeah, because I needed a house, and I got the rail car. I made my late wife got the rail car to Auckland. Got a rental car in Auckland. Drove up to Waipu. This guy knew we were coming. This farmer guy. So after milking, we were there for an interview. Had an interview, and they said, "I'll oh, just wait in there." And they went and sat down where we could see them through there and had their dinner. Never got offered a cup of tea or anything. And we'd driven from Auckland, okay? Yeah. So I said, Dame, I don't like this prick. I don't like him at all. And we'd stayed in the motel. And the following morning, I was talking to the motel owner, and I said that I'd come up looking for work, and blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, he was an owner, part owner, of what was Waipu Timber Company back in the day. They had tip trucks in the quarry and the sawmill. He said, go and see Jim Sumner. Saturday morning. Goes down, knocks on Jim Sumner's door. I said, told him who I was. He said, yeah, oh, yeah. He said, yeah, yeah. He said, I know your Uncle Len and your Uncle Bob. Chatted away. And he said, what can you do? I said, well, I can drive a truck or I can drive a bulldozer. He said, I'll tell you what. He said, um, the guy who's on the HD6 on development work is moving up to the HD11 on blading and ripping and stuff like that. He said, you want that job? I said, yeah, thank you very much. He said, oh, by the way, he said, um, come in and have breakfast. <laughs> he said, we're on our way up to our boat. They had a boat up by here. He said, we're on our way up to the boat. But look, I'm sorry, he said, it's only mince on toast, but you can come in and have breakfast with us, him and his wife. Well, what does that tell you? Yeah, what does that tell you? So I started there on the HD6, winter on the trucks. Everybody got their holidays in the winter up there. And I'd be on a stock truck or oh, yeah. that Nissan or a Comma or whatever was going, that yep. F-1800 or what. And, yeah, I stayed there and I got into a lot of trouble there. Because I had, firstly, the guy that moved on to the HD11, 
Graham Kerr. His son is a good friend of mine now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Kerr. Graham. We were out working on the same block, crushing one day, and he's because I'm sweeping the sidings down into the creek sideways, and he's coming down this way, and he's yelling out to me, you get that fucking thing out of the over here. It's one of those sort of big, loud mouth. And he started in the workshop one day, and I just said to him, hey, mate, you want to be careful, because when this worm turns, this worm turns nasty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, bugger me. We were cleaning up the hall after a, a social function, and him and his mate started. So he got it. Big meeting with the staff, because Sumner's were the mainstay of, of Waipu. Yeah, White yeah. Forest Products in Tokoroa. And they wanted, they wanted me sacked. Jim Sumner said, well, it's either him or you guys, and it's you guys, right? You're going. If you don't want to work with Bill Brown, you go. So they stayed, and we worked on for a while. Jim Sumner called me into the office. Then following Christmas, after all of that, and he said, look, he said, I'm going to tell you something. I said, you know why I've taken your side? Because those guys there are the guys that go to the pub, ring me up at 10 o'clock at night, piss, and abuse me. You've known which one's to mail, thank you. <laughs> and he said, oh, before, while you're here, he said, um, a Christmas ham and a box of lion red. He said, you've been nominated as driver of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had a comma, which I crashed quite bad on the summer road. Do you know where the Hukateri Quarry is? No. Oh, yep. Yep, it's up north. If you go up to... Um, What's the place to turn off? Where the Cowie Museum? Matakoi. Yeah. The Hukateri Quarry is out there. And I had a comma six-wheeler, lazy act, for which they made it into a six-wheeler and gave it to me. Yeah. Taking the first six-wheeler apart from the missing. And I had the weekend off and Morris Sumner drove it and left it at the quarry and we all went out in the van from Waipu. I got in first load. And they have what they call the summer road, which goes from out there and comes out down by Rural. And it's it's like like the blackjack. Yep. Yep. And hairpins. And they come out of the quarry, cross the road, and you start going down. Down, but stone, change down, change, change down. Air hydraulic brakes. Nothing happening, nothing happening, nothing happening. Hard, the pedal went hard. <laughs> Got another gear. Oh, I thought this fucking thing's not going to slow down. And I know that after you went down, you went a, a hairpin like that, down into a, a steep gully, another hairpin. So I decided me and the truck going to park company. <laughs> I got it down probably about 15 mile an hour, and it's a one-way road. Yeah. Not a lot of places to go. Yeah. So I jumped, opened the door, poor old comma, jumped out and grabbed a bit of scrub. And past you she went. She went down, went down and somersaulted down in this gully loaded with balls. Got quite badly squashed and the trailer ended up upside down on top of the truck. Yeah. Okay. They gave me the Nissan in the meantime. They wanted to give me a new Ford D thousand, which I refused because it was those bloody Ford ninety Cummins and I said, No, I'll drive the Nissan because they just got their first Scania. Right, yeah. Which was the first Scania on the road. It was given to them by Swedish Motors for 10,000 k's as a demonstrator. Right. 
and took away and changed the diffs and brought it back. Yeah. Changed the diff ratios and brought it back. So I drove the Nissan, which was the main stock truck. Yeah. For a while. And then the comma got rebuilt and given back to me. Oh, yeah. And then they had, they bought another company out and they had just replaced in a couple of Bedfords or something with a, with a Dodge Cat, which was quite new. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was a dedicated flat deck stock truck, was only a couple of months old. And Jim Sumner said to me one day, OK, we're going to give you a truck, what do you want? A new truck. I said, I want a, anything with a Caterpillar will do fine. And, of course, we only thought of, of the old 1160s, uh, sorry, the old, yeah, 1160s, um, and those 13... 100 series and stuff like that, 1700. So I said, yeah. So he, he took the Dodge Cat off the sky and gave him a Scania as well and gave me the Dodge Cat. And then my first wife, Amy, was subject to breakdowns. She spent a lot of time in Carrington. And I went down to see her, take her for some treatment one day, come back, stop for a haircut somewhere on the North Shore. And I saw a job advertised for a bulldozer on a seaside farm. Matakana, up north. Yep, yep, yep. So I rang this number, and this lady said, yes, Gordon's on the farm there now. Um, you want to go and see him go out there? So I went out there, and there's this beautiful big old house, two-storied house, and it was on a sands on a point that goes out into the Matakana. Yep. Sands but harbour. Mm-hmm. Opposite the wharf, you look across from the wharf. Big house, because we had five kids by then, and I quite liked it. Thought it was bloody neat. I was going to be redeveloping this farm, bulldoze all the old scrub and the walls and the shit. No, what? Anyway, I went back to work. Some a couple of days later, I got a message to ring Gordon Miller. He said, "Oh, can you come down on the weekend? I want to see you again." Went down, he said, are you really interested in this job? I said, I am. He said, well, I can tell you now there's been 68 applicants for this job. But you're the man. You're the one. So I went there. So what sort of year are we talking here, Bill? By then it would have been 73. Yep. Give or take. I went to Summers in 68. Yep. And I stayed there about five years. Right. So 70, around about 73. 33 years old, roughly? Yeah, and redeveloping this property. And it was in full view of the neighbours. Next thing, the neighbours are ringing up. Can you get that bulldozer over here and do this? <laughs> Can you get that bulldozer over here? And then the council come along. Can you come out and do what they call Tickles Hill, which is on the way to Lee? The council wanted a bulldozer there to bench it out and yep. ready. Lands and survey at Taipora. Wanted this, this guy with the bulldozer out there, and it just went bloody mad. Just phone kept ringing. And Gordon Miller, he lived in Auckland, and we lived in the house. And then he moved up in poor bastard. He employed another guy to work on the farm because I was away with the bulldozer, and it was a, a beef fat, a, a beef breeding farm. Yeah, 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 yeah. He employed another guy to work there, and this other guy was just a big fat useless prick. Gordon, um, Amos, but mother said to Gordon Miller one day, Gordon Miller was moaning to her about it, she said to him, well, why don't you sack him and give Bill half his money, half his pay? If he builds that good, you give him half his pay. 
which he did. Sacked this other prick, gave me half his, half his wages, right? So I was working pretty bloody hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was salary. We ended up buying my old six-wheeler comma. Oh, yeah, from Sumners. From Sumners? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To shift the bulldozer around. We built up a little trailer ramp on wheels to tow behind it. Yeah. And then, lo and behold, he bought another HD6 for him to drive. And then we leased the motor scraper because the work just... Just kept coming in. Just kept coming in. And I was doing some working on a job out back one day and I got whacked in my face with a bit of wood. And I thought, I don't think I can handle this too much longer. And we'd, we'd actually gone to Aussie for a holiday because I made mother lived in Sydney. And while we were there, I'm, I, mother, I read out of the paper, oh, look at this, eh, mate? Uh, Scania salesman job here, travelling New South Wales. And I'd been the night driver and weekend driver on some of Scania. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I'd had a little bit of experience. And Amos mother said to me, you'll get that job if you apply for it and you can shift over here. So I went, I can remember this guy's name, Phil Cook, Scania, Australia. Two days before we were due to come home, he said, I think you better come and see me. He said, you're in the final two. Went out and had an interview. I'd never done truck sales before. Had a yak, and I said to him, look, I've got, I've got to tidy up loose ends in New Zealand. I can't just say, right, I'll start on Monday. Right up, when you're ready, let me know. I come back and I told Gordon Miller, the guy with the farm, yeah, 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 yeah. the plan. And he said, oh, he said, um, I'll put you on the machine bonus as well. So that made a difference of 10 grand a year. So I stayed. <laughs> I rang Phil Cook and said, look, I'm sorry, mate. I can't come because this is what's happened here. And I know I've got a house and I've got a boat, got a car and stuff. Okay, but anyway, time went along and I got a whack in the face and I fucked it. Bugger me that night in the paper, because we had the Herald delivered. And in the Herald was the same job advertised in Auckland at Swedish Motors. Okay, I rang the Max McKissick, the sales manager, and I said, I've never done any of this sort of stuff, but blah, blah, blah. And uh, he said, oh, yeah. I, I said, um, I think our manager knows you manager's name was Ben Boys, who was mates of Gordon Millis that I was working for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I didn't realise, because he used to come to the farm. Yeah. And they used to have picnics down the farm, and I used to open the gates and stuff like that for people. Yeah. So I fronted up, helped Moran Road, made arrangements to meet Amy, let her take the car, made arrangements to meet her at the Great Northern Hotel. And Max McKissick took me into the Great Northern Hotel, and this is first meeting. And I said, oh, this is my, my wife, Amy, this is Max. And he said, Amy, I'd like you to meet the new Scania sales rep. <laughs> just like that. Yeah, just like that. But Scania, as you probably would realise, was um, Swedish Motors was owned by Motor Specs, and Motor Specs, to quote, should have stuck to selling plastic buckets and turtle wax. Right. They didn't have the right idea. Warren Hughes at Woody Kahu Transport said to me, who I knew quite well, Billy, if you twin steer two of those triple ones, I'll buy two. No trade. I'll get rid of my fucking F80G88s or whatever it was. He said, I'll buy two triple. So here's me going proudly back and saying all this. Oh, we can't do that. You tell him if he wants a twin steer, buy the trucks and do it himself. 
right, okay. I sold a mate, Stu, Stu Williamson. I traded in a crusader off a mate, Stu Williamson. And Stu said to me one day, you know, he said, their warranty policy is all up for shit. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, we've got to pay for all, all our warranty work and wait for them to get the money back from Sweden. Well, that's no warranty, is it? And, and then um, Jim Sullivan, who I was quite matey with, because he worked at Ross Todd's, and his dad was a part owner of Cambridge Transport back in the day, um, and I knew him way back then, when I was working with Harold Davis. He rang me up and he said, um, Pagey's looking for a salesman to sell leaders. So I went over selling leaders. Yeah. And I specced up that sleeper cab one. Yeah, yeah. That's the only one like it. I specced that. Is that right? I specced it for Stu Williamson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the cab was stretched out by the guy that built Dell surfboards in New Plymouth. Oh, oh is that right? Yeah. And that was upgraded from a 3306 to a 3406 Spicer spoiler. SS1420, I think it was from memory. A cap brake saver. Yeah. It was had all the goods. Mate. That I, that I could pretty put specky. Yeah. <laughs> cap yeah. brake saver, eh? Yeah. Um, but then they started getting into debt to me. Right. And that deal with Stu on that leader was falling over. I'd already sold them a 140 Scania because United Cont Carriers, who he was working for, decided to change his contract. He was the, the transporter man. They fucked around with it, with his contract. So we ended up with the leader. Can't get rid of it. Nobody wanted a truck like that. It's a pretty high spec. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I demonstrated it to Peter Walker. Halls. Yeah. Did a load of meat out of Wongaray. And, and I'd already sold him a few Scania's that we had repossessed from King Cole. Right. When King Cole was gone. And I did a load of slowed out of Wongaray. And we got back to the yard, unhooking the trailer. He said, hey, you ever want a job, you come and see me. Yeah, yeah uh, the and truck it, may not have impressed him, but the drive did. <laughs> well, a spicer compound, you know, they're not yeah, that easy yeah, to yeah, drive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of weeks went by, and um, Highway Vehicles, the franchise for the leader, were getting into debt to me a bit on wash-up commission and stuff and expenses. And I'm but short on the fuse when it comes to that sort of stuff. So I was in Peter Walker's office one day talking to him and I said, I might be looking for a job. Oh, yeah, right. He said, you know, you spoke to me about one of those triple one Scania's ages ago. He said, you started the ball rolling on that deal. He said, the, pre the next guy after you has, has finalised it. He said, I've got that being made into an A-train sandliner. I want you to drive it. And I said, well, mate, don't you use a bit of ethic here. Ethic tells me you offer it to your existing drivers. And he said to me, listen, I don't know if you ever know this Peter Walker guy. No. He's, out, he's out in your face. Listen, big blustery prick with a fucking big cigar. Yes. Listen, do you want the fucking job or not? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> yeah, so we're still waiting for the truck to be finished and the contract to start with first. And I drove a six-wheeler meat truck and a, a Arctic carton, a bit of meat around Auckland and stuff while I was waiting for that Scania to come. And that job, you probably may or may not know, Rich Jackson had that contract, that first contract. He had two trucks full-time. Bearing in mind, he hadn't quite yet got his Kenworth. 
two trucks full time. He had Dodge Cats. Yeah. Mike Hayes had a Ford, I think. Two trucks full time, one truck part time, and the lime from Redvale to go to that block plant was being carted by Flanagan's from Drury. Right. I got that triple one to do the whole job. Yeah. One truck that was being done by three and a half trucks. Yeah. Or four yeah, trucks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's uh, six before two axle, semi and two axle dog. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Painted in first colours. Yeah. Yeah. 305 horse? 300. And, um, yeah, then he said to me one day, shit, I was also doing other stuff, like at, at night occasionally you'd say to me, oh, so-and-so too tired to go to Tamanui or somewhere. You do that. Oh, yeah. So, hook on, <laughs> down to Tamanui. Okay, just a 36, 42 foot, or whatever they were, loaded with hanging sheep or whatever, beef or whatever it was coming out of there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and back to Auckland, somebody else would unload it. And then yeah, because you have, had to hook onto your A-train and start counting. And then I'd hook on the main <laughs> train and, and go. A lot of mornings, I was starting at 2 o'clock yeah. and working big days, quite big days. Yeah, And then come holiday time, and his accountant, Dennis Curry, had a pretty sharp pencil. He said to me one day before all this, he said, Bill, I don't want you to start work before 6 o'clock in the morning. And I said, if that's the case, Dennis, I can't do this job. Why not? I said, well, you know, I'm doing the line that Flanagan's were doing. OK, it's only two or three rounds a week yeah. from Redvale to the plant. But the job Jackson's were doing were two and a half trucks. OK? I've got to do hours. Like, you can't do it in eight-hour day. I said, well, I don't want to pay you meal money. <laughs> I said, well, I've... I've never ever claimed meal money in my working life, ever, ever. Oh, okay. Anyway, I just carried on. Now that I happened to go in, and Dennis bailed me up. You had to go past his office, past Peter Walker's office, go there, and call me up. And he started telling me again. Peter Walker started overhearing it, and he came out and he said, "What's the, what's the trouble?" I said, "He doesn't want me to start till after six o'clock in the morning, Pete." I said, "You know as well as I know, I can't fucking do the job with one truck." He just said to Dennis Curry, he said, Bill was employed to do that effing job. Dennis, you let him do it his way. Okay, so holiday time came. I was in there, I would have been there five years. And holiday time come around, Dennis said, oh, you take your holidays in November. Yep. And I was between marriages, so what do I do? Oh, Wayne Bellum. Yeah. What do you do on holidays? Drive trucks. Yeah. Yeah. And those those days he was running tour. And so over I goes and works for Wayne Ballon in the holidays. And one one time I can remember quite distinctly, Ken Worsley was my swap partner at the time. Ken Worsley didn't turn up. So Ballon said, what are you going to do, horse? I'll do it. Because it was straight down and straight back and shuffling. So down I go. Back I come. Did it again. Another round the same. Probably with three hours sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Auckland Wellington. Yeah, Auckland yeah. Wellington. And not only that, we had to go through the Hawks Bay because he only had one licence to go direct. <laughs> so yeah. this particular track had to go through the Hawks Bay and um, writing out notes for different bogus destinations. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so what are you driving? Oh, one of the... Um, uh, aerodynes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. We had aerodyne yep. four hundred. Yep, four hundred, yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
and come come payday, and he just paid me for the normal pay. And I said, come on, horse, this is a bit fucking rough. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, I've done two rounds on my own. That would have cost you four rounds if it was two of us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're only paying me for two. I said, but I've done two men's work. Wayne? Ah, oh, yeah. You drive a fucking hand back. I can't do this. I can't do this. I said, well, it's pay up or nothing, you know, or else. So he paid me for three Instead of four, he paid me for three. I'll meet you halfway. And so, needless to say, I didn't go back there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next, next holiday came, car all the way, doing the uh, National Park swaps. Oh, yeah. Down there doing the National Park swaps on one of those things. And added to that was Ernie Salter. He'd just got that 8392 Kenworth. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a cool truck. With a Spicer. Yep. And he said to me, we used to drink together. And he said to me, oh, you know, come and drive my truck. I'm off to Aussie for two weeks. And that's when he had the racehorses. Okay, this is what you do, Bill. This is your list. If you happen to get finished, go and see Lance Peach at Walla and Binder. Right. So the list that he'd left me, I finished in one week. Yeah. And not two. So round I go to see Lance Peach. Oh, yeah, shit, yeah, back her in here. Load her up. Off the hammer. That's when they were doing the transport into city. Yep, off the Hamilton. Did the following week doing that. Went back to Walkers. About the middle of the week, Lance Peach rings up and says, uh, What are you doing? I said, Do what I normally do. Why? What do you expect me to be doing? He said, um, There's Renee. was quite about my age. He's too fucking tired. He just bought that FR Mac. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And by then it was probably three months old, if that. Yeah. He said, not only is he too tired, but he opens his mouth and blabs everything what we've been doing. And because what they've been doing was a bit illegal. Yeah. He it was said, a bit interesting. Yeah. He said, do you want Do you want the job? Do you want a driver? And I thought, oh, well, it's, it's Lion Hill days coming up, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I said, yeah, okay. Yep, righto. So I left, left Hall and started off doing the, the, the transport, Hamilton, Auckland, Hamilton, Auckland. But then at night, he'd say to me, oh, five o'clock, all right, go around to so-and-so and load up, you're going to Wellington. After you'd done a day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So load up and go to Wellington. The first time I did it, I had to come up to Palmy, empty, and pick up a couple of containers out of the rail depot in Palmy and back to Auckland. And I was back like late afternoon the next day, done it in pretty much one hit. Lance said to me, and I, I now think he was joking, he said, mate, if you want, if you want to do line haul, you've got to be able to do it quicker than that. <laughs> and so, so I fucking proved him that I, I could not only do it as quick, but end on end on end on end. Yeah. And he, he gave me a, a good good uh, recommendation of one of those things. He said that I have the, the work power of her, like a Herculean work yeah, power. Yeah, it is too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got the I've got the Lance Peach comment in here. Yeah, Lance Peach. Bill's Herculean appetite for work in days before curtain ciders when everything was covered. Mm. Hand covered. Yeah. So, was the, was the 350 Mac 12 speed? 350 12 speed. 12 speed. FR. FR. Was a good reliable truck? 
Because you have to have a tractor to keep going under your desire to work it. It dropped the it dropped the cam follower at about four hundred thousand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so how long were we on there for? Oh, good two or couple of years or more. Yeah, yeah. Like that five five a week was quite. Not every week. Yeah. But never less than three. Never less than three ever. Ever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably more four. And, you know, that's still no mean feat. Yeah, because he would have me working locally as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. When I'm in Auckland. And, like, it's all co- it's covered freight, isn't it? All yeah, the way down. Tarp freight. Yeah. But he paid good. Lance paid good. Yeah. It was never a dispute over money. Yeah. You know? Um, like 120 hours some weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, some weeks, not fortnight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. That's just non-stop. Yeah. Back and forth. Episode 8, feature interview Bill Brown. We'll conclude part one there. Duck off, have a pee, grab a biscuit and uh, take the top off another bottle of beer or make another cup of coffee at this point. Uh, Bill leaves Waller and Bindon for a short time and um, takes up a bulldozing uh, job in the middle of the North Island, to use his turn of phrase. It uh, came about as a result of some uh, outside-of-work issues and he was um, left the firm for approximately six months, at which point the intention was to always go back. And so we rejoin the story here where Bill um, is going back up to Waller and Bindon. There had been the offer of a new uh, truck on the scene uh, when he got back, a V8 Ultraliner. But we find that the story takes a turn at this point when he goes up to uh, to meet the team and, and discuss his return to work. And I guess you can say this commences the middle part of his career with the uh, trucks that he owned, the S-Line and, of course, the great Par Bear and then following those, moving on and working for Clary Peterson, which is to come in a few minutes. I came up to Auckland, went up to Waller and Bindon, the yard in Howe Street, and they said to me, look, um, we have sold we have sold a Mac to Garth Thompson's son-in-law, um, we're not going to get another truck, but Garth Thompson has bought this T-line, that was ex-Tony Balderson and the clay contract right. at Tuakau. And Garth Thompson's stipulation is that you go and drive the T-line with the Garth Thompson, which I did. And that would have been the first time I had that big CB in that truck. And I went on that for a while. And Garth Thompson said to me, Brownie, we're going to give you another truck, a new truck, there's one last cruise line of V8 left for blah, blah. I said, I don't want a Mac. I don't want a Mac. What do you want? I said, well, I've taken a liking to the Foden's, the Cat 425 Foden's with the high-rise double bump. Yeah, yeah, with the sweatback. Yeah. The high thing, yep. Yep. So he said, all right, that's what you can have. So we started speaking it as a truck to cart the fire clay. Yep which is the place where we ended up with in Tuakau. Yep. In a big shed, cart the fire clay and general freight. Something happened and the fire, the brickworks closed down or something, the pipeworks down in Minden, Linden, yep. Wellington. So, hello Jack. Here's this Foden, new Foden, eight-wheeler, getting built up, Cat 425. So, Lance said to me, listen, he said, how are you getting on with Garth Thompson? I said, yeah, all right. I said, he pays and you know, stuff. He says, um, we've got this bloody Jepson contract. He said, um, you want to buy your own truck? 
we'll help you. Oh, yeah. I said, yeah, fine, thank you very much. He said, there's a Mac round in motor, motor trucks workshop now, FR Mac, six-wheeler, 320. Go and have a look at it. You can have that for 80 grand. It owes 80 grand from SMH, and I don't know if you remember them, Salter and, and Hedges. And I said, 80 grand? I said, fucking not even worth 80 grand. And I said, well, what do you want to do? I said, an international. He said, what, a T-line or an S-line? I said, S-line. What? He said, we'll, we'll, we'll sort that for you. We'll sort out your finance. And you can, and you can rent, rent one of our new 43-foot CC yep. steel dry trailers for 1500 a month. Oh, okay. So, away I go, starting on the, this Auckland to the Mount for Jebson. Container. Containers, yeah. And time went along. I was doing a bit, the containers would slow down or drop off, go around to main freight because I knew that they would give me a job. Yeah, yeah. Anytime. Howard Smith or Bruce Plestead. Yep. Terry Kinney. Was the manager there? I could just rattle up there and they would give me a load somewhere. I want to give you a, a contract full time here. I said, Shit, this is good because I've got the S line with enough work. Fine, okay, I'll look into it. So Cl- Clive Burnett was selling phones. I rang him up, said, Come out. I said, Speaking up a phone like that one that Garth Thompson had specced up for me, or that I'd specced up for Garth Thompson, I want to have. One of those, blah blah blah. I went into to main freight a couple of nights later, and Howard Smith said to me, "Oh, we can't give you a contract." I said, "Why is that?" He said, "Because Royden he just told me he owns that airline, and you're not allowed to work for us." I said, "He doesn't, you know." I said, "If anybody, it belongs to Nathan Finance." Yeah. I went to um, Nathan Hercules Finance. Sorry, we're doing the finance then. And Hercules had sold out or something. Nathan Finance had taken it over. I went to the guy at Nathan Finance, who happened to be the same guy that I'd already dealt with, said, I want to buy that trailer. How much is it going to cost me? I've got nothing to put in it, but I've got a... He said, no, he said, you've built a huge equity over a short time in the S-line. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Because I started off with fuck all in it, but I built a big equity. He said, um... Yep, he said, you can have that over three years or something like that. And he said, and it's going to cost you $1,100 a month. I said, well, fuck me. I've been renting it off them for $1,500 a month. So I rang Gordon Ed and Lance. I said, I'll buy, I'll buy that trailer. So we ended up with that. And then, of course, along came old Par Bear. Yeah, now that was a cool truck. And it, Just before we get on to Par Bear, S-Line was a good machine, dear. The best. Yep. So that was a Big Cam three or Big Cam three. Big Cam two. Big Cam two. Yeah. Fifteen. Fifteen or, speed. Yeah. Forty fours. Yeah. All the all the good gear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of the day. Yeah. Um, two years and eight months, six hundred and ten thousand kilometres. Reliable kilometres. I had a valve burn. Right. It burnt a valve, and it burnt a valve. I let Dave Bruce because I was going so hard out. I was also doing work down to Napier. Down for light, down as, to you Gisman, do. yeah, eh? yeah. Down as you do. Yeah, yeah. As you do. Yeah. And Dave Bruce did around for me. I'm not blaming him entirely, but his driving style wasn't my driving style. 
he would let it go right down to about seven or eight hundred revs yeah. and still keep pumping the fuel in, you know, and, be, mm, 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 mm. and he arrived back and he, I said, the fucking thing's missing. Had a burnt a valve. Yeah. Okay, so I got that fixed. Um, but that was a good trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I should have kept it. I should have kept it, but the pride of seeing that bloody par bear. So where did you see it? Did you, was it built up? I saw, firstly, I saw a photo of it. Yeah. And I spoke to Alan Cameron. Yeah. And he said, oh, it was actually on the water. It wasn't actually ordered by me. It was on the water. Was it a customer truck that it was, it would turn in? Or? I believe it was to be destined for, what's his name, um, Durham, Milton Durham. Oh, yeah. I believe, but something happened there. But then I'd only seen photos of it. Yeah. Bugger me, I was going out to the beer store. Yeah. Actually, out of where told us now, Fred Gibson House. Yeah, yep, 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 know, yep. You yep. I mean? And only hung it there, yeah. Yep. Down Penrose there, yeah, down there. And I saw it in the yard. Yeah, yeah. And I rang Alan Cameron and I said, oh, see, you got that truck in the yard. I want to have a look at it. He said, yep, when do you want to have a look? I said, oh, I'll be back on Friday or whatever in the afternoon. He said, right Anyway, Jimmy Shoemaker arrived with it. Neat guy, lovely guy. And she drove, drove in the yard and Sue saw it and she said, my God, that's a par bear if ever there was. <laughs> so, Are you responsible for the... Unbelievable. Yes. So, yes, so the long and the short of this, so I said to him, right, give me a deal. I paid 174000 for the S-line on a no-trade deal. I lie, I paid 172 because they took two grand off it because it was painted for a truck show in Hamilton. Yeah, yeah. And it was actually headlines and Wicked Wanda written on it. And I had to take all that yeah, off. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so it was 172,000. That fucking Transstar was $262,500 on the road back then, when Kenworths were about 250. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, that was so what I wanted. 88. 88? 88, yeah. Yeah, that's what I wanted. And it was so its own thing, it isn't was, it? Like when was. everyone saw Par Bear, they were like, look. The shit at that because they had the shepherd sleeper and yeah. you know we had to get the sleeper joined up because when I was talking to Cameron about it initially I said if I can't afford that truck I want a sleeper yeah and so it all sort of fell into place yeah 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 only a little bit it was really my input but it fell into place to our advantage in a way and I was thought if I couldn't afford to buy it the sleeper was going to go on the S line yeah and the turntable was going to be moved back a little bit. But anyway, they came up with $155,000 traded. It was in good order, yeah. but it was a truck that had done nearly a, well, hedge towards a million. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 610,000 K. But it was still a solid. Yeah, and driven well. Solid truck. Yeah. Driven yeah. hard. Yeah, but hard and well. It was yeah, driven yeah, yeah. hard, yeah. A guy in Pukakari joined up the sleeper force. Yeah. Um, and it was. If I look back, it was a mistake, to be perfectly honest. But pride. Yeah. Now, I remember the first night coming back from Wellington, coming up up um, the top of what they used to call Bulldog. Yeah. Um, just up the top there by the Weybridge, past yeah. two trucks. One guy said, fuck, did you see that? Next guy, what is it? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they were such a, like... Well, I was telling you before the interview how I did that week, Clary on the Green Hornet. Yeah. The trend, 
And they were such a neat truck to drive, eh? Yeah, Those trans yeah, stars are yeah. comfortable. Yeah, yeah, comfortable. Solid, solid truck. Yeah. Um, and triple four, she doing pretty handy back yeah, in the day with yeah, just a forty yeah. footer behind Tri- it. Triple four, yeah, with the forty three. Was that a good four. motor to you? No, it, it wasn't the motor's fault. I was going to, with a load of paper one night, going down to Napier. Yeah. And I, going up through the forest, I thought, Chip, that temperature gauge has come up a bit. Stopped at Stag Park, checked the water. Oh, it's used a little bit of water. Topped it up. Thought, oh, it's night time. Off I go, and I got up to 60 bar 8, and the gauge came up again. Oh, fuck, what do I do? I'll top it up, because that camp was still up there then. There were the water tanks and bit remains of a camp. Fill the water up, back down to Stag Park, dropped the trailer, took it into truck stops. They couldn't find anything. So I hightailed it up to Domtrack in Rotorua. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big Malcolm. He found that... The intercooler had a hole in it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But by then, it had got that hot. Yeah, yeah. It lost its ring compression. So I took it back to Harvesters, to Alan Cameron. He rang Brian Duffin yep. at Dom Track. Brian Duffin, I spoke to Brian Duffin. Brian Duffin said, bring it around here. We'll fix it on warranty. So I will have to pay forwards the belts and belts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so they fixed it. But... That wasn't really the engine's fault. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Intercooler had fucked out. But no, no, it was it was good truck and it was pretty rapid. And for at the time, it was good for me because I always had somewhere to put my head. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually built a, a, a fold-out bed in the S-line. Yeah. Um, out of some plywood and used the, the old squabs out of the T-line that I drove for Garth Thompson because I got custom-made it big thick squab was shaped to go around the seats so I made a fold out between the seats that fitted around the gear lever and the squab which folded in half and sat like one of those things in the middle there and then I just fold that fold the monk out fold that out head on the passenger seat feet on the driver's seat and sleep yeah I did I used to do a bit for freight brokers for holidays yeah, yeah. too and on the S line I came up went down to Wellington Unloaded some concrete beams, shot up to to the back of Shannon to Utopia Road or whatever it's called, just you know where you come up the hill into Shannon from the south. Pick up a load of spuds. The spuds weren't ready; they were still in the paddock. I waited, waited, waited. In the end, I said to the guy, "Get the spuds here. I'll take what you get out of the paddock, and I'm gone." Anyway, off I go. Goes through Taupo and come up to um, the export um, produce stores used to be on Fanshawe Street. Yep. Along, you know, where the gas station, those old wooden buildings. Yeah, yep, yep. They come around there and come out there and unloaded me in the middle of the night. I went out to the out to the rail at East Hamaki and they put a container on. I shot home to Turikau, had a shower and a feed. Sue jumped in the truck and off I go again. And I'm getting a bit buggered when I got down just, just about the summer, the desert road. So I just pulled over and Sue's sitting in the passenger seat, so I just used her knees for a moment. I just sort of zonked out for about two minutes and she said, you got visitors. 
Prince Trevor Thorne and Grant Blackburn. You got your logbook there, Bill? Yeah, and it was filled out perfectly like it should have been. Well, it's like this, Bill. We were in Taupo last night at 10.25, and you came through Taupo. I said, bullshit, it was Mark Misa. No, but not only that, he said, at quarter to five this morning, we were out at Tamaki Rail, and you went in there and picked up a container. <laughs> and it's this container here. <laughs> well, there we go. I said, oh, you're bullshitting. Crap, blah, blah. Well, there's three tickets, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's the only time ever, ever, that I got tickets for logbooks. Is that right? Yeah, and Trevor Thorne used to hound me. He used to hound me all he could, but he could never make it win. <laughs> so, so, off we goes down to court. Tie happy. Jump. We took the old Land Rover down, didn't we? But anyway, down to court we go. We stayed night in Tie happy. Down the street for a cup of coffee and walk along the street. Oh, here comes Jeff Duff. <laughs> hey, Jeffrey. Oh, no, 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 no. And I, we always treated each other very civilly. Yeah, Ken Kirk always gentleman. talks about... He was a yeah, gentleman. Yeah, though. he talks about Jeff yeah. Duff like that too, yeah. And, and I, I said to him, who's the prosecutor today, Jeff? Uh, I am. <laughs> How sad was that? <laughs> right, up we go. Um... Failing to take a 10-hour break, omissions in law book and false statement in law book. I forget how they were read out, but I said to Jeff, look, I'll, I'll plead guilty to two of them, not guilty to that one. How do you plead Mr Brown to that? Um, well, I'm, I'm pleading guilty to those two, but not, not this one. All right, OK. What have you got to say, Mr Duff? Well, he said, the way I see it, too, he said... The omissions in logbook and the false statement in logbook is a duplicate of the same thing, really, isn't it? And the judge said, yes, it is, Mr Duff. Jeff Duff said, well, we'll withdraw that one too, Your Honour. Failing to take a... It was a nine-hour break in those days. Yeah, yeah, Failing yes, to yes. take a nine-hour yeah, yeah. break. $65, and I'm not going to touch your licence, Mr Brown, because I know you're a hard-working man. Yeah. The only time ever. One time... I, all the roads were shut. All the roads. So I came up, went through the tunnel over to Ohura, because I'd worked in Ohura, over that road there. Past, oh, up the Forgotten Highway into Ohura? No, no, turn off south of Mokel. The road goes up to Dampier. There's a tunnel in there. Yeah. And because I'd logged on the, on the Waitonga Saddle, see? Yeah. I knew a bit about the road, and that was a bit of a goat track. Yeah. So... I could hear these guys when I came, because all the trucks are parked up at Century Hill and on the way bridge at Century Hill. As I come out and go, oh, you can't get up there, Brownie, you fucking fool, you know, the fucking roads are closed and the fucking gorge is shut and the fucking... I never said a word, eh? I just kept going and turned off and up I go. So, and I came out, I went over and I came out through... Martry onto the road there. Two of, two of, and I think it was Burger and somebody else working for, for Redco had tried to get over there and they both got stuck. The advantage, of course, of the S line's high in the front. Yeah. 
43 footer, you can crib a bit on the corners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, climb up the bank and stuff like that. Yeah. I, I got through, I went up to Auckland, had a bit of a rest, unloaded, reloaded, and I was coming back down, heading back down towards Hamilton Way, and here's all these poor bastards coming up. <laughs> I'd forgotten about it. Kenny said to me one day, he said, those bastards thought you were mad, they didn't know where you were going. So how many clicks did you do in Par Beer? Around about 200. Not a lot. Not a lot at all. I never had a fall that long. Yeah. Because I had a major run-in with the Sheriff's Department. Yeah. And they they wanted my general goods. Yeah. Gave my daughter our house, yep. our equity in that property in Tuakau, and we moved down to the gorge. And, and your the, nephews took the transport, took the truck? They took, yep. they took it over, yep. took over the business. I, Rex got a licence, brother Rex. Yeah. I gave him a fat equity in it, really left it just... Oh, on paper I went broke. Yeah, it's good at I paid all my all my debts apart from Shell, which eventually got paid, and BP. Yep. And the shifted down to um, Mackie Town. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and started doing a bit of casual, really. Um, like I said, Dave Wrigley. Yep. Neville Chambers, Trevor Masters. Yep. Clary Peterson, and two rounds a week to Wellington via. The Taranaki market for Peter White. Yeah, but yeah. Then of course, Clary got that, and he rang me up. I was on my way into, onto. I was just heading into New Plymouth actually, somewhere there. Yeah. You were in or somewhere. Phone went, and it's Clary, Mr. Bull Brown. <laughs> yeah. Yes, Mr. Peterson. You want me to work tomorrow, don't you? And I'm going to be in Wellington. No, not really, Bill. Um, he said, you know that I've got that new T900 coming. I said, I heard about it. Yeah, he said, um, I think I'd like you to drive it. Oh, yeah, 460 cat. <laughs> I agreed, but i got to be fair and say, I think he had Bill, Bill Mary chap, it begins with W. I think he might have had him lined up to drive it and right. something happened. Right, yeah. And I was really the second one to be offered it, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I said, right, fine. She was a great bit of gear. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that was a big truck that was as good as it got, yeah, wasn't it? That coming used to tally that bloody 500 superliner of you guys up, coming up the heck away. Yep. Yeah? Mm. It was. It, it, it was. I used to tell people bullshit because it, it could pull 140 k's. Yeah. It could pull 140 k's, that fucking thing, which is really too fast. Yeah. Um... But I used to tell people, I said, fuck, how do you make that? Oh, it's been, been chipped and Clary's had to sign a, a paper to say that if I get off the truck, the chip's got to be taken out. People used to believe it. But it was um, it was great for Clary because you could make, you could you could wring the neck of that, get every dollar that it was capable of earning out of it. Well, every, every day, and I don't think Clary realised for a long time, I was always a round-up. Yeah. Or half, at least a half a round-up. Yep. Usually a roundup, because I used to drive it hard, yep. hard. But those brakes were only relined to be when it was sold. When, yep. when I left, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Did the did the cat's whiskers have a brake saver? No, the, the cat's whiskers had just the Jacob. Just the Jacob, yeah. yeah. But I'm very good on brakes. I do know that. Yeah. I do know that. Um, it used to power along the road. Yeah. I used to kick it. 
hard, but I'll ship the, the times at that, Chris, you know, he was a problem because he didn't like Clary yeah. and he didn't like me. If he wanted a quick, urgent load out of Wongamata to the, to the lighter basin, yeah. who would he get? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Go and do a quick load out of there. You've only got an hour and a half or something. Yeah. Episode 8 feature interview with Bill Brown. That concludes the, the middle section. The, and um, Bill was with Clary for a total of five years. It was in that time that I had the pleasure of working alongside Bill and it created some great memories there, as you've just heard. We now move on to part three. So uh, go and have a refreshment and another break. And um, we're going to conclude the, the Bill's career in driving, uh, starting with a return to halls. I didn't actually intend to go back to halls. But we had a country music festival to go to on Waiheke Island. And we're going up there, and I said, well, I'll go and see old Buffy at Halls. He said, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, I don't know yet, I'm a bit between jobs, but I've got a little bit of pocket money, I might hang around for a day or two. Bugger me, I got home, and I was home ten minutes. Dennis Curry on the phone. Because he was now manager of Halls, because yep. Peter Walker had sold Halls to the Medill family. Yes. Bill, I saw you in the yard today. You're too proud to come and see me. Oh, you're a busy man, then. Look, I'll give you a job. You want a job? But you might have to trim your beard up. <laughs> he said, you come up, he said, and I'll put you straight in on the senior driver's pool, which puts you on line off. So I went back there, and we were doing rail pigs. The pig marketing outfit down the South Island decided to quarter the pigs and put them in check cages. Okay, and the rules were because of the weight, the check cage, because we're trolley jacking them out. The rules were because of the weight, you were only allowed to go one half cages. Yeah, they do the yep, half cages. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, so just then, Medill's got those big high refrigerated trailers. So the bright people in Christchurch that loaded them decided to double stack them in the trolley jack and up the front of the truck. And it was at Hutton's in Hamilton. Yeah. In the middle of the night, I'm trying to jack these things up. Put, if you put it in the pallet long ways, like the pallet yep. wide, the pallet was bending. That's how heavy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And dragging, you can't move them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get it round and put it on the other way. <laughs> because they're bloody fiberglass floors, the wheels on the trolley jack were sinking in the floor. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Banging and crashing and trying in the, on my own in the middle of the night. Next thing the night watchman turned up. And he said, what are you doing? I said, mate, I said, I can't move these fucking things. He said, you've been here a long time. I said, I can't move them. I showed him. He said, wait on. So he went and got a, the forklift and a rope, through the handle, turn on the handle, and then down onto the pallet. So yeah. it had to pull the pallet because if it had to just pull the jack, it would have pulled it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, you, he said you've done a good job, driver. Come and have a cup of tea. So I sat down in the hut with him. I said, Real agony. Yeah. I was on one of those FLDs or whatever, those, those monitored weight liner things. Up to the yard. I just parked it in the yard. I went and said to the guy in the office, I said, I'm out of here. I'm going home. Because I had that old bus that we had parked up at my daughter's place in two account. Yep. Staying there going to work. And I come straight home. and straight in the dock this morning. He said, you've done yourself some serious injury. And it ended up, I'd actually ripped my diaphragm from my ribcage. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it was, I'd be standing, it was like somebody whacked you over the back with a 4 by 2 I was literally collapsing to my knees. Yeah, yeah, and every time you breathed, it excruciating. Oh, and the guy who fixed it was that, what do they call it, osteopath? He did that nerve thing. Yeah, yeah. 
eventually it patched itself after two, nearly two years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bill Vanderveen rang me one day out of the blue. He said, um, I believe you know a bit about loading freight. <laughs> and I said, oh, I have been told a bit, but I don't know. He said, look, he said, we're having trouble with our drivers loading the inter-island freight because he was doing that work for freight lines. Oh, yeah, he said, do you think you could go and show the drivers how to load the freight? I said, I'll do my best. So I went up with a guy one day, about next day or day day and a half later or something, he rings up and he says, oh, the, the driver hasn't come to work yet. You think you could go and, would you mind going up and loading the truck? I said, no, that's OK, I'll do that. No, up I go. Come back, one of the drivers, I've forgotten their names, Manu and Jacko and whatever their names were, um, was there. Off he goes down to Christchurch. Next day, he said, OK there, Bill? Yeah, yeah. He said, um, can you go up and load again? It's, this driver hasn't turned up. I'm on my way back down. He, he says, rings me up and he says, uh, oh, he said, um, I don't think the driver's coming to work. He said, do you mind going to Christchurch? <laughs> While you got it on, you might as well deliver it. <laughs> one of those CG380s or whatever they were. Yep. Okay, Bill. So off I goes running up and down for them. And then going back to the Transstar, my last main job, of course, was cutting beer to Wellington yep. and Palming. Yep. Yeah. Working for Lion. Yeah. Or working for Freightways Express, doing Lion. Okay. One of my nephews, they'd sold tra- Par Beer by the time I was working at Vanderveen. Yeah. They'd sold Par Beer, and Kenny bought, I think he bought that bloody White House or whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. That, that, yeah. Um, that, that Steve Gooselag used to have, yeah. or the 500 Cat, I think. Michael bought one of those Western Stars that Keith Church had. And he was working at... Oh, he wanted a new truck, that's right. So I went with him, we did a deal on that cab over Western Star that we were doing the beer with, Michael. Yep. Yeah. Right. Michael was at TransLink, it was then, with this cab over Western yep. Star. remember that truck, and yep. TransLink got the beer, the DB contract. And Michael was given the opportunity to be the prime truck right through to Mangatanoka, back up through the Hawke's Bay. Oh, yeah, that's new, yeah, yeah. Loading what is out of the Hawke's Bay. Yeah. Twice a week or three times a week, be it straight back, and the other two days through the bay. Yeah. Taking freight up to the bay and then what is up to Auckland. Provided this was the same guy, a chap called Ian McLeish, that was in charge of the line job that I was doing for Freightways Express, he'd gone over to TransLink and he was in charge of this contract. They said to Michael, it's a three truck job. You have the primary truck job providing your uncle is the driver. Yeah. <laughs> no bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Because of the security thing too. Yeah. So that's when we went and we were living in the house at Stag Park. Yeah. Yeah. Michael and I. Yeah. And I was doing the bottom end. Michael would do the top. Whenever he knocked off on Thursday night, he'd come home. And then I'd bring the truck right up to... We usually swapped at Tahuna on a Friday afternoon. And that's, that's how, we were, how we were operating. And that, that lasted until they lost the contract because the other two secondary trucks they had were swapping. They were swapping in two rangers, these other guys, 
Firstly, they had been having problems with beer tipping over. And they came in one day and they opened the curtain because I was I would go straight down there and be there at five o'clock to unload in the morning. Sleep there for a couple of hours if I could. This truck came in and I, he opened the curtains and he had his beer stacked up over the turntable like that and up over the turntable like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Both units. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the two least stable places you could have that. And I said to said to this driver, I said, oh, I said, I don't want to seem smart, mate. I said, but I think they're loading that trailer wrong. Our idea was that yep. way. Okay, so it's over the solid part. Yeah. Small wheel trailer, yeah. stable. I said, but I think you guys might be loading those trailers wrong. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, really, they should be loaded higher at the back. More weight at the back over those yeah. three axles there and over those three axles there. Or two axles there and three there. That's how I think. You drive your truck, I'm an, I'll drive mine the way I want to drive it. I thought, fine, that's, what, that's okay by me. No, I'm not tipping my beer over. <laughs> you are. <laughs> so they lost the contract. And that's when I, we'd already bought a place in Taupo, yeah. up the road. And that's when we moved to Taupo. They, they lost the contract. I did a bit for Kenny. A bit of casual for Kenny, and then I was up at Stag Park one day, and oh bloody, what's his name with the tow trucks, Huzzy? Oh yeah. He said to me, "Are you looking for a job?" I said, well, "I wouldn't mind a job where I can be home at night." He said, "Richard Scudder," and I went on that Scania out on the off highway. Yeah, 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 on the off highway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you said in the article back in '04 that was a neat truck. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, I've got a bit of a thing about Scania. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We can see why. Yeah, yeah. there's horses for courses. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, probably if I was going to buy a truck for me to drive up and down the country, I'd probably buy a Scania. Yeah. I think I would. Yeah. Um, and yet I favour internationals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? I think internationals. Because my relationship with that, them goes back a long, 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 long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, I think I'd buy a Scania. And winter come on and also added to that by then I'm 50 something yeah 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 and I was getting sore elbows because sometimes on those doubles you're throwing the chain 72 yeah, times a day yeah, yeah, and they're yeah. big chains and I started getting sore elbows and I said to Scudder one day I said I'm going to have to give this up oh why I said because my elbows are playing up and I think it's arthritis oh, oh. I, said, I don't want to lose your cousin you know what can I do I said I don't know what you can do. He should tell you what he said. Charlie Virgo's long stem trucks for sale. The old Western Star 500 cap. He said, if I buy that, will you hang about? I said, yeah, OK. So it was going to be single shifted. Then he decided he wanted to double shift it. And when, that's when I had Mike Charlton for a, a swap partner um, for a while. But then, of course, you know, you've got to get underneath for the chains yeah. because they're 10-foot bolsters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's water and shit dripping on you. And once again, I'm thinking, I don't think I need this. And Dalton Gates, I don't remember big Dalton. He'd worked with me at Halls. We used to do the pigs, hanging pigs together. And he came home and he said, called him home. And he said, oh, he said, um, John Bower's looking for a driver. McDowell's. Oh, he said, um, give him a ring. I rang John Bower up. And he said, oh, yeah, he said, look, um, 
I'll get you to bring a truck up for me on Saturday, wasn't it? Saturday morning or something. He, went. he said, um, the truck is in too, Rangy. If you could bring that up and unload it, and you bring my car, take a company car and go home for the normal driver. And I don't know if you know John Bauer. He's a nice guy. I think the world of him. But he was padding around there, and he's rather quiet and shy. And because I like to get the fucking job done. And he's padding around there, and I said to Sue, I don't think I like this guy very much. Just the way he was talking. That's when they were out by where you guys used yep. to be out. Uh, Moran Road? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Anyway, I said to him, I don't, don't know. I said, I think I'll be sticking where I am. And he said, oh, okay, okay, that's all right. But he gave me $200 cash, which I thought was pretty decent of him for a day's work back then. Yep. Because all it was was drive the truck up, take what freight was in it. Um, and it was a B train with those funny door trailers they had. And two hundred and drive a car back to Touring and drive home again. I thought that was pretty good. Anyway, the bloody phone goes one night and it's John Bear again. And by this time I'm getting a bit sick of of, of working out in the ship, you know, as it was. He said, I've rung to offer you a job. I want somebody to drive one of those K one oh eights for me. And I said, Oh yeah, you know, what's the pay? Tell me what the pay was and it was Actually, better than what I was getting from Scudder. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, off I went and worked for John Bauer. I, that was, he was a good boss. So that's Taupo Auckland Returns? Both ends. Both ends, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, it was weak about, and I said to him, nah, if I do anything like that, it's two weeks. Because your body clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get into a rhythm and then. You, you do what you like. You can please yourself, Mr. Brown. Yeah, I know, he's pretty good. They were trucks that were running Dunedin, Auckland, and you were doing the North and Christchurch. South. Christchurch, Auckland, you were doing the Auckland and Wellington and two splits. Auckland, Taupo, and Taupo, Wellington. So yeah. two weeks about. Two weeks about. Yeah. yeah, that was good because there were times there where guys, we had some young guy from Thames, actually, I've forgotten his name. He was bloody, he knew it all. He knew everything. And he just didn't turn up, you know. We had a couple like that, and you'd be gone up to Auckland, done your shift and back, so I'd just carry on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm back. Yeah, and then yeah. One, one, one day he rang up and he said, I want somebody to take a truck to Christchurch. And I just got back from Wellington. No, I just, I'd gone from Taupo. I want somebody to take a truck to Christchurch. And I said, well, you're talking to him, aren't you? Because that's why you've rung me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, would you mind? I said, no, that's all right, John. I said, but listen, we've got the granddaughter here. She's come down to feed calves. We never had any fucking calves. <laughs> She's come down to, to feed the calves and that during a holiday. Um, is it like, okay if I take her and Sue? Most definitely, and I pay for everything. Yeah, so off we go down to Christchurch. Straight down. Unloads, reloads, back up to the boat. Up back to Taupo. And yeah, on the way back up... Yeah, back to Telpo. He rang up and he said, that fucking driver from that Western Star hasn't turned up to go from Telpo back to the boat. Oh, oh no. turned around and went back. As you do. Hopped in the Western Star, straight back down B train, back down to the boat, and then back to Telpo. But he was always good. He'd say, 
two extra shifts for you this week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He, he paid, and he was yeah. a good boss. Because the thing is, you get that a sequence with the boats, and it's a disaster to try and get everything to remesh again, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, he was, he was good, and he paid good. Yeah. yeah. And he, uh, he's another one that gave me a pretty good reference, I think. And so is that from, was that back to halls from that? No, no. I had a, 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 a good guy who I think the world of that you know very well ring up. Well, uh, what happened was at McDowell's, we went to Aussie for holiday. Mm. And when we come back, John Bowers said to me, they've changed your run now. It's going to be an Auckland to Rangi swap. That's fine. I didn't mind that. Auckland to Rangi swap. I already had our house, the new bus that we bought up in the motor camp at Ramarama. Oh, yeah. Because we bought a new bus in, when we were in Taupo, when I, when I retired, sort of. Okay. <laughs> They've changed your run to a two-rangy swap. I said, no, not for me. If I don't go to, straight to Wellington or yeah, yeah. straight to Taupo, not for me. Oh, okay. I'm back. I said, I'll... I'll hang about, for, when's it changing? Oh, in a couple of weeks. I said, I'll hang about till it changes, John, all right? And I goes back to the bus. The phone goes, Alan Green here, Bill. <laughs> he said, and he's done, he's done it before to me. You don't know where I can find a good driver in Taupo. <laughs> I can just hear it, yeah. Yeah. I said, oh, yeah, yeah I'm not sure, Oh, you know, I said, um... I don't really know any good drivers and no, 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 no. We chatted away for a while and I said, oh, what's the money? And I think it was 9.50 or something. 9.50 for five days, something like that, in the hand. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said, I, well, I might be able to find you somebody. So just, uh, I'll think about it, Al. Oh, yeah, who's that? I said, oh, Bill Brown. <laughs> Oh, if it's you, he said, he said it's twelve fifty. <laughs> yeah, We'd, we we had been in the bus and we went back to Auntie Melville's birthday in Hamilton, and we're in the bus and Greenie said, "Oh, we'll come over there and have a yarn together." And Adrian was with him, and she wanted to know my history. Have, have you got any references to this? And have you got a CV for that? And Greenie said, "He doesn't need it." He doesn't need it. I'm telling you, he doesn't need it, Adrian. <laughs> yeah, so I started with Greenie, and I was coming up to retirement age. Yeah. And we decided then we'd sold our bit of land. We're in that rented house, and you came and stayed in. Yep. At yeah. Wairaki. And, um, so you were just picking up the truck for him and doing Palmy returns to Taupo, or what? How I, was, I was doing Taupo, Palmy, unload, yep. reload. Yep. Deliveries up to supermarkets in the Hawke's Bay. Oh, yeah. And then Watty's fully loaded back to Talpa. Yep. So this is when he, Granny was working at Linfox? Yeah. Yep. With eight wheel of phone. Yep. Okay, yeah. gotcha. Yep. And he was good boss too. You know, and there was odd nights when Greeny or he had Mark Harvey doing it yeah. sometimes, uh, come to Talpo, and then I'd have to go back over through Bennydale and go down to go that way because the desert shuttle was stuff like that. Uh, roads are shut. Yeah. But no, he gave me a good reference yep. too. Yeah. But I've been pretty lucky. With jobs and bosses. Up here. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we went up retired and went up north. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In the bus. That was to cousin Kevin Brown. And 
we were going to go up to the bar wines and pump gas and be hippies. Yeah, because he had the trike motorbike then too, eh? With the little yeah. opening yeah. boot on the back, eh? And that was, yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. 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 Suzuki Intruder. Yeah, that was, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We went down to the Sandspit Motor Camp and Kevin had a nice home at Sandspit. Yeah. And then his wife's down there talking to us and next thing Kev comes down and he said, what are you doing? I said, oh, we're going to go up to the bar wines and pump gas because I was already on the super by then. Yeah. And he said, hang about here, and I'll give you all the work you want. And we started. Fucking physical stuff, rolling out hundreds and hundreds of metres of mulch, post Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he, he, he had a few acres there. But through this big wetland area, it was like bloody near like going from here to the shop. Trucks would come in and dump it, and we'd shovel it over the fence with fork, and with those bloody silage forks. Yes roll it down and make another big roll, roll that down and then we'd try and keep a roll intact and screw it around down the bottom as best we could and roll it down that way. Planted thousands and thousands of natives. Yeah. Then he says, oh, you doing? Do I need this doing? So he went out and bought a little two and a half ton digger. Yeah. And a little four-wheel drive tip truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for us. To do all of this work, mate, fucking laid miles of that big blue water pipe. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bloody miles of it. Some places double roads because of how he wanted it and shit like that. He said, if you go down to the cowrie warehouse, there's some big beams in that down there, cowrie beams and stuff. You buy up what you think you need because I want you to build a thing out in the <laughs> garden to yeah. and then, <laughs> then go and get another load of railway sleepers so that I could, we could build a quite a large raised garden on the hillside. Yep. We did a lot of arty yeah, yeah, good yeah. work for him, and thinking that was going to last three months. But it just dragged on and on and on. And then I get a ring from the son-in-law at Halls, and you come and do a, take a container to Christchurch for me. Yeah, no worries, down, down there in the middle of the night, and off you go to bloody Christchurch, you come back up, go back up there. One run we did okay only to pick them, but it was from Auckland straight down, straight on the ferry, straight across up to the to Spring Creek Rail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unload a 40-foot there, put another one on off the rail, straight back to Auckland. Yeah. So the halls thing was the start of the halls thing? The load, yeah, the last, that was... Because Neil, my son-in-law, was head of dispatch. He's pretty good. And he just... If he had something urgent, he would give me a ring. Yeah. Yeah, and then when things finished up there... Uh, which so how many years did, were you doing that off and on stuff at Halls for him? Oh, only for a year or so, oh, yeah. and then it was back there hard out. Yeah. yeah. So 208, take. When you slotted back in at Halls. Yeah. Halls. Yeah. And so what, so what are you, how old are you then when you slot back in at Halls? Oh, I was 78 when I left Halls. Right. Okay. And I only left because Neil left. Yeah. Oh, no, I had a better reason to. Because my old K100 that you would have seen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my asshole. That was part of me. Yeah. Um, it decided to die. Right. One, it, it had a repair of an IX, ISX 525. Because when you went on it, it had a black motor in it, eh? It had yeah. an N14 in it, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then they put that red motor in it. And I did actually shit that. I must have pumped them up there because according to Craig Medill, I'd done 1.25 on that motor. Since 2009 till whenever that, yeah, 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 till 
but a couple of times I walked off, I'd pack a shit and walk off. <laughs> and and then they'd ring up, or oh, I'd feel like I need to go to work, so I'd go back. But no, um, I was 78 when I stopped working there because... And so that was, yep. you were always on the like Auckland Christchurch? Like, no, Auckland, Auckland to the boat. Auckland to the boat. And every now and then, it would be Christchurch. Yeah. But my last few years was... Was Auckland to the boat. Just Auckland to the boat, but three rounds every week. I was doing around about 4,500 k's a week. Yeah. Down to the boat. And then, come back one day, just to the top of Bombay Hill, and I rang a guy in the head of the workshop guy and I said, a bit of a tick, tick, tick in this motor I don't like. I think he said, okay, mate, do your deliveries. I used to do really two big deliveries in Auckland, usually at one unit for for foodstuffs and one unit for countdown. Yeah, yeah. And he said, do your deliveries and we'll have a look at it when you come in. And I got up to Manurewa Hill and, and I managed to get off, off the road. Yeah. Just put a rod through the side. Oh. So they said to me, you can have a new Western Star. Beg your pardon? I said, get that fucking thing fixed and I'll stay. Because I, I root, that was really part of me. And yeah, I looked yeah. after it. Yeah, yeah, well. yeah, 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 yeah. And I, so, okay. Oh, no, you've got to have this Western Star. Push button automatic. So I don't want this fucking truck. Oh, you look good, it suits you, Billy. I said, I don't want it. We're off, going off for a holiday again to Aussie. I said, right, it's like this. I said, you either have a manual truck for me when I come back from Aussie, or I don't come back. Oh, you're joking. I said, I'm not fucking joking. Oh, came back in the office. What are you going to do about a truck? Ah, you have 13, 13, 11 or whatever the number is. That's your truck. You stick with it. Ah, here's my card. Security card. Here's my card. Here's my fucking fuel card. Get the scissors and chop it up because they were giving you personalised fuel cards. Right. Yeah. 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 With your name on, yeah. not your truck number. So chop, chop that up while I'm watching. I don't come back. I still drove the car home and I drove the camper home. Back we came. Didn't go back. But Neil had gone over to my son-in-law had gone to Nikau by then. Oh right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So over I goes to Nikau. I was on a Hino. Hino six-wheeler up there for a few weeks, and then I got a Kenworth, uh, eight, that eight-wheeler bonneted track unit they had, and I was carting um, machinery and stuff out of Westport because they'd knocked down the... Oh, the old Holston works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They'd knocked all that down. Yeah. And carting machinery back from there, mainly up to Auckland, to rent to Mary Mary, and a few loads up to the Gisborne Hospital where they were knocking the hospital down. Neil went away for holiday. They asked me to take a truck for a COF. And so I took my own water blast up and cleaned up this bloody old Iveco and had it looking a million bucks. They said, take it for a, for a, for a VCA first. Mm. And anyway, I went and did that. And when I come back to the yard, oh, where's me fucking Kenworth? Oh, so-and-so's got it. He's going to work around Auckland with it. Oh, sorry, mate, I don't come back. You don't do that to me. And that was around that time my eyes were getting really, really bad. Mike, the good eye, I was driving home around um, Island Block, coming home from Mary Mary one afternoon, evening, Friday it would have been, and around the back of the old Copa Pukamai. It was just like a big cloud of diesel smoke. 
just about. So that was in the low light of the evening, the, when you say the sun uh, was yeah, coming on yeah, night. But it, but it happened again a couple of days later. We went down to see Marty, he was in the hospital at, in Matamata, in the old folks' home. And we come back, drove back and around the back of, by the racing car track, back of Wahurudi. Mm. I said to him, you're going to have to drive. And I went and saw Peter, the optical guy and thing. He sent me straight down to get another needle. And so now I've got to have a needle there every two months now for the rest of my life Yeah. to keep my eyesight. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And so as long as you keep getting the jabs in the eye, you can see. Yeah. So interesting question, Bill. Where's the passion? Is the passion just hard work or is it the machines or is it both? I think both. Uh, probably from my personal point of view, it is pride. Yeah. You know, I'm going to show these bastards. Yeah. Now, even even at, I'm not joking, am I? Even at, at, at um, Nikau Contractors. We were uh, cutting from Lincoln Road up to Redvale, contaminated yeah. soil. Yeah. I was lapping those guys. Yeah. All these younger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's a different approach. It's like I said at the beginning, and I don't know if you agree or not. But it's like the is it's it's a bit like making work part of the fabric of your life, not something that you have to do between living your life. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah, that's right. But I think I've personally I've made work. My priority. But too high a priority. Yeah. Yeah. Not made a lot of money. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, had some good jobs and good pays. Yeah. But no, back like I say, back in those days, I was I was actually unreasonable. Yeah. I was unreasonable. You know, poor bastards, forklift drivers at Main Freight. They used to get a lot of um, like schooling guys up. So yeah, yeah, yeah. A number of times, I physically grabbed guys off the forklift. Just. One night I got that angry, I just got going, fucking let me on there. Because I was trying to show him how to tuck. Yeah. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And he wouldn't, he would come in straight or he would come in this way. Yeah. And I'm trying to, he got me that pissed off, I just fucking literally threw him off the forklift. I mean, like I go back to the start of the thing, and there's lots of people that have mentioned it Clary, Lance, and I think in Times and Spies article and things like that. And I lived it. Like I, the Bill Brown that I worked with in in the logging days when you were with Clary and I was driving number fourteen, is one of the great lessons you teach people inadvertently without doing it. Is is you're here for a long time each day, make it fun. Mm. Like if there's a chance to stay, and and I don't know, I must have got off scot free. Like like I must have been a. I must have been blessed because you and I were quite often yeah. had, a, had a bit of a jab at each other yeah, over yeah. different things. I but it was all... I have forgotten the talk. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it was always, like, yeah. I don't know, it must be just that mood or the air you yeah. create, eh? It yeah. was, yeah. yeah. No, I, th- I think back then, I think I got along with everybody. Yeah. Until they pissed me off, like... Because that was, it was a good group in those days. I suppose if I said, what's a highlight across your driving career of well, that spanning now 60-something years... It'll be hard to yeah, be impossible, yeah. isn't it? Um, I remember on the phone the other day when you were talking to me, we were about talking to Jack up this interview, you said to me, at the end of the day, it's about the people. Yeah, it is about the people. And right back, you know, back back in the end of the 50s and the early 60s, we really only worked with a half a dozen people. Yeah. Okay? You know what I mean? Yeah. You went into the bush, there was a bulldozer driver and a crosscutter. Yep. And if they're camping in the bush, the their wives were there or something like that um, and then you got to the mill you 
was the native. You either had a bulldozer there to push your logs off or they had a winch with blocks. Yep. So you didn't talk, see a lot of people. And with deregulation, of course, you see way more people, don't you? Yeah, 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 because yeah. Instead of you running between Waihi and Morrinsville, you're running 50, 100 times that. That's right. The country's your workplace, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. 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 No, I, I think if I, was, if I was a greasy prick, probably the highlight was really fixing to Sue's tyre on the road. Oh, it has to be, doesn't it? You know where the next... 354,000 meals are coming from there. <laughs> yeah, and she is a bloody good cook too, man. Bill Brown, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Keep On Moving podcast. It's one that was uh, on my original list of who do I want to talk to on this podcast. And um, it's really important. To, uh, it's really interesting because in the magazine we tell people stories and in the podcast they tell their stories and they can quite often be two different interpretations of the same story. Yeah. So I think it's really important to get all you guys talking about the, what I still, what Mike and I still call the golden era of trucking, really. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, thanks so much for your, for your time. Well, thank you guys, too. I've enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. But you You're welcome back. It. You haven't enjoyed it as much as we have. <laughs> You're welcome back. Thank you. Thanks very much. Want to catch the latest truck videos and posts from New Zealand Trucking Magazine? Then hit the like button on the New Zealand Trucking Magazine Facebook page and subscribe to the New Zealand Trucking Magazine YouTube channel. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Okay, time to do the traps now. Uh, the industry traps starting with Dave from the association. Yep, New Zealand Trucking Association, Dave Boyce. Well, certainly the timing's a challenge, Dave. It really is. Like, if you look at the um, consultation that NZTA have put out on uh, regulatory funding fees and charging and that, it appears the intent is to put more cost onto the trucking industry. I mean, the, the Director of Land Transport has come out and said that our industry is not paying its fair share, so um, not sure with we, whether we agree with that. Um, but the proposals would see their regulatory revenue increase by 40% from $185 million to $264 million per annum. Well, that's another $80 million, and our industry certainly can't afford to absorb this uh, cost, certainly not at the moment. And one would have to consider that much of this regulatory cost as part of the as part of the original RUC legislation that goes back to 1978, all that regulatory cost was included in that road user charges. So why is it now being separated out? Because the thing, when you look at it, the wider inflationary thing, I mean, you know as well as I do, probably better than I do, because uh, uh, it's been quite a few uh, years now since I've actually been at the cut and thrust of 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 transport itself. But I, you know, it's not an industry that's that's uh, has a an abundance in terms of margin so any cost that they impose on us our industry is at a position now where we're, we're having to uh, pay more for wages we're having to to get attract people in so that cost is only going to end up in the pocket of one 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 payer as you said that cost needs to be passed on it's not only passed on to the consumers and within new zealand you know so your your price of your bottle of milk or your loaf of bread or but it's also uh, hamstringing our uh, our economy as well. I mean, New Zealand and some of our overseas markets are about 14, we're about 14,000 kilometres away, whereas some of our competitors are only a couple of hundred k's away. So you put extra cost on our exporters to, to export that product with extra transport costs and all that. What do you think you're doing to their competitive position? I mean, you're just making it harder for them. So from a New Zealand Inc. point of view, it just doesn't make sense to impose that cost there. Certainly, if you're talking about costs, like 
one of the things we're helping a lot more trucking operators at the moment who are under enormous financial and mental health stresses. They're trying to keep their businesses viable with significantly rising costs and supply issues. We're not just talking diesel, which has doubled in price in the last 12 months, but all business costs. Wage rates have risen sharply, driven by a driver shortage, increased living costs, and government-imposed immigration settings that are strangling access to overseas-based drivers. And this has been compounded by competition from overseas trucking companies who are now targeting New Zealand drivers. I mean, you know, our drivers can, can leave the country now, and uh, some of them are being enticed, and... Um, it's not going to help our situation. Um, if you look at the supply of new trucks and trailers, it's becoming more difficult with a number of suppliers quoting lead times of 18 months or more. It's a case of grabbing what you can get rather than what you want. You know, you, we've, we're seeing operators have had one brand of truck for the last 30 years and now they're having to buy alternative ones and that's sort of uh, testing their loyalty. Not only that, it's driving up the value of used equipment, and that's if you can get it. We're seeing prices for two-year-old um, trucks and trailers that are matching the prices of new gear. I mean, you know, these are trucks that have already done three, four 400,000 Ks. This is just absolutely unheard of in our industry. Rising inflation is flowing through to all business costs. Finance rates are fast rising, and lenders are becoming more risk adverse and asking for more financial information and more equity than previously. I mean, the days of 100% finance uh, for someone who might be an owner-driver who's starting out, they're fast disappearing. You need to have good financials and cash flow projections. And um, certainly if you need help and guidance through this situation, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to us. We've got a lot of experience in that uh, cost modelling and uh, advice on that for people in that situation. Are you getting lots of inquiry like from existing members to recheck cost models again and say it's cha- the, the, the landscape's changing that quickly that I can you run your eye over this and see if I'm still viable? Absolutely, Dave. I mean, one of the tools we've uh, put out for our members because a lot of them were struggling with was just adjusting their fuel. So we've done a f- uh, fuel adjustment factor calculation, which is available to our members uh, which just helps them, you know, work it out from their base costs because, I mean, not everybody's been applying those costs in the past. A lot of them have been hesitant to put their rates up and have been struggling to come to terms with it, but they just they can't carry on doing that. They've just got to do that and get get the uh, the revenue in. So um, it, it is a bloody challenge, Dave. It really is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and it's a, and it's a challenge that at the moment has got very little on the horizon in the way of in the way of uh, uh, you know, a, a sunrise or a, a light at the end of the tunnel at the moment. We're just going to keep ploughing on in this uncertainty for quite some while. Well, you know, if the light at the end of the road has anything to do with this government, it's probably a train that's coming to run you over. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There you go. And uh, so that's probably worth uh, that's probably worth the takeaway thought of the day, probably, I'd imagine. It's, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a difficult time and there's definitely a room reading thing going on and, um it's very similar to the message we're getting from elsewhere, and there is a lot of stress and a lot of and a lot of anguish out there, and it's a very difficult time to be running a, a road transport business as as vital as that industry is to the wider economy. Well, definitely, and you know, and we were talking before about the road user um, discussion document that's up at, at the moment for consultation, and we've we've surveyed our membership. Uh, we put out a, a draft submission on our thoughts, and we've asked them for their feedback on that. 
overwhelmingly the feedback has been to stick to the principles of the original 1978 RUC legislation. And that was that the money was used for building new roading infrastructure, maintaining the roads, providing supporting regulation and enforcement. It wasn't designed to be played around with to support other externalities, which is a word that's used a lot in the consultation document, including trying to influence climate change and vehicle fuel source. I mean, to try and put uh, a road user charge on a vehicle, whether it's powered by diesel or electricity or uh, hydrogen or whatever fuel source is just ludicrous. I mean, the example I would use here is a 50-tonne truck does the same damage to a go to the road, regardless of what it's powered by. It doesn't mm. make any difference. And equally, a two-tonne car causes the same congestion on the roading network, regardless of whether it's petrol or an EV. Um, so, you know, they should be funding their fair share of that roading source, but it shouldn't be being siphoned off for other things. Um, so, yeah, we've collated all that feedback and we've put a submission into the MAT and we'll certainly be involved in that review process going forward. Um, and we'll certainly make sure our part of the industry's voice is heard. Fantastic, Dave. Good to talk to you. Great uh, catch up for the month. And uh, obviously there's plenty going on uh, at the association to keep you all busy. And uh, we'll, check, we'll leave you to get on with it. We'll check in next month. Absolutely, Dave. Uh, never a dull moment. And uh, good to talk never, to you. Never a dull moment. Love it. Okay, thank you, mate. Excellent. So thanks, uh, Dave. That was great. And now we'll go across to the CEO of Iara Aotearoa Transporting New Zealand, Mr Nick Leggett. Who got to play on a new road. Who got to play on a new road. It's been a long time coming. Crikey. (laughs) Well, yes. In fact, the country has a brand new road to drive on. And um, Transmission Gully was opened um, uh, yesterday uh, to traffic. And uh, I have some personal interest in this because uh, I was uh, the mayor of Porirua when the project kicked off and we actually uh, as a city co-funded link roads that were part of the project to a couple of our larger suburbs Uh, and uh, so there's a there's a sort of a sense of personal satisfaction uh, for me uh, in, in, in this week but you know what are the lessons here for the industry what are the lessons for the government. Um, look, this is an anti-road government. They do live in, I think, and they're advised by people who have this sort of utopian view of where the world should be, and that you know that that that, that road transport, <clears throat> that cars are sort of one of the great evils. And then until we put everything on a train and put everybody on a bicycle, you know, the world isn't the world's problems are not going to be solved. And actually, I think what Transmission Gully shows, and I, you know, I I challenge the biggest greenie in the country not to drive that road and not be and, and, and be unimpressed because it's actually not only is a great feat of engineering but it's a lifeline for the Wellington region. It's going to significantly reduce travel times for all of its users and that you know is going to improve things for road transport. The challenge should be how do we build more of those uh, pieces of infrastructure, not not fewer, and how do we do that more quickly? We do have an anti-road government to a certain extent. Uh, they were very complimentary this week. I was at the opening and, you know, the Prime Minister was was there and Grant Robertson and Michael Wood and they were all talking about how fantastic it was. Well, we're going to hold them to that because um, the country uh, relies on roads to connect people and to connect freight and get things to and from where it needs to go as soon as possible. I know I'm preaching to the converted there, but this argument does have to be, it does have to be made over and over again. 
Yes. Because what we've got is this agenda of not giving roads enough funding, slowing them down in the hope that that will encourage alternative modes of transport. And look, we know that if you live in a rural area or a provincial area, um, or you know, you've got to cart logs or cattle or food to, 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 to far-flung parts of the country or from far-flung parts of the country, um, that roads are the only option. And, you know, the choice is not slow a road down, don't maintain it as well, and that freight is going to, you know, the frustrated freight is going to travel on a train. It's actually, it's going to take longer to get there. And that's, there's an economic cost to that. And um, we, we, we've got to, I think, win that argument in the hearts and minds of the public. So it's, it's, you know, it's only through public pressure um, that the government is going to respond to this. And, you know, we've been involved in campaigns around State Highway 5, Nate Kitatopo, we talked about that before, State Highway 6, uh, Nelson to Marlborough. Um, and those, those speeds have been slowed. Um, but actually, uh, you know, we haven't seen a material difference, I don't believe, yet that we can measure in, in the, the sort of things that the government believe are, you know, going to be the outcomes, you know, like safety and, you know, fewer accidents. So, you know, the fewer accidents and the safety occurred before the speed limit was lowered on that State Highway 5 in the Hawke's Bay. Yes. Because they policed it more and they spent some money on maintenance. Well, shit, yes. it's not rocket science. So um, I think, you know, my message to, to people listening today is, you know, transporting New Zealand, we've got the year of government and the year of the media. Um, in the last 12 months, we've had, you know, we've been in the media over 500 times on behalf of the industry. Um you know, not only can no other association in the industry compete with that, no other association, perhaps other than Business New Zealand, can compete with that. So it's 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 making these arguments over and over again, um, and and bringing the public with us, understanding the importance of roads. And you know, we've got the shining example now in Wellington with Transmission Gully. It's only taken decades. Um, we've got to continue to make that, uh, you know, articulate the arguments. Um, ensure that the roads that we do have are well maintained um, and not see this constant heaping of pressure and cost on road transport. Mm. Because we know um, that if you increase road user charges, if you, if you increase the cost of doing business for a trucking company um, and, and the pressure on a truck driver by slowing them down on their work time and on just on their mental health, um, you know, those costs are all going to be transferred to consumers and look at inflation, look at the country now as we spiral, um, these costs are just being heaped on. And um, so we, we do have to continue to articulate. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. And, and I, when I saw the, the increasing in the, um, the transport costs uh, news start to break last week, the, the, um, the admin costs around transport, like in, even if the, even if they weren't in a good place structurally, and even if they did need a change, it's been if it's been wrong, it's been wrong for a long time. What's another year? And the, the like, you know, the room's not being read. Like we've got out of control fuel prices that we don't know where they're going from any minute to the next. It's up and down. It's up and down. Got a ruck review. We've got wages going up all the time to try and retain and recruit. 
Um, and so, you know, did something else need to be thrown in the pot or is it like, yep, we know that needs doing, but it's just a bit happening. There's a bit too much water boiling in the billy at the moment. That's it. I mean, and they say the fees and charges review, it's not going to take place until the end of next year. Well, this stuff is not short term that you've just identified, you know. The, and, oh, and, look, yeah. But yeah, so why and, put it in front of people now? What, you know, it's, well, no, exactly. All it does is it just pushes, pushes that pressure. Oh, uh, stress. Off. Yep. And so that's that's it. As you know, we've said it. You said it. Read the room. You know, some of what they, you know, some of the administrative changes they propose will be quite good. And I'm, you know, I'm sure we'll have no problem with them once we get into that detail over the next few weeks. This is not an industry. This is an industry that's carried the country through COVID on its back, on the back of its trucks, and that needs to be recognised. And mm. the cost of transport. And the cost of what we buy in the supermarket or the goods that we buy, you know, wherever we wherever we go, that uh, those those costs are, are reflected in those goods mm. and in that food. So um, I'm not sure the dots are joined often. What we've got is this sort of ideological view. I talked about the sort of utopian, ah, oh, this perfect world where everybody rides a bike. I don't see that reality for the country and, and, and the policy decisions that are driving that are just adding costs. Well, of course, the contradiction in all it for, in, in it all for me is that is that the generation that now makes up the bulk of society in terms of workforce and consumers and and thing have never been less tolerant on delays of such an incredible breadth of product. So, yes, right. so, so that can and the only thing that can even come close to satisfying their their demand uh, for service is is a truck. Correct. And and if we want clean, big, fast trucks, and I mean fast trucks in the context of not, you know, don't jump on it because I said the evil fast word. But like you're dead right. If we want big, clean, high capacity, high average speed hydrogen trucks, say for example, yep. linking our major cities, then we yep. then they need a we need to fix the footpath that they're driving on. We need to do that, and we need to ensure the economy and the industry are not run down to be able to pay and invest in that future. Yeah. And and this is this is the problem with I think the climate debate a little bit is we know as an industry that we've got a con- contribution in reducing emissions. We know that most of the technology doesn't exist but actually I think what you've outlined there Dave and you and I've heard you do it before that idea around what hydrogen fast larger trucks running between the major cities um for us to, to invest and have the funds to pay for that and for the technology to be developed, the economy needs to be really strong. And so mm. slowing everything down before you've got an alternative uh, is the very wrong way to go. Yep. Yep. Well, fascinating discussion. Uh, would you like to talk from the, would you like to close out with talking to us about Save Our Supply Chain? We are running this campaign and, and, and we've talked about it earlier in the week. Um, it was around this Omicron threat to absenteeism uh, of truck drivers that we saw quite seriously affect supply chain in Australia and the US and the UK. We wanted to get in front of that, and we did do that. And we've we've had um, actually last count about three hundred and forty drivers across the country nominate and say, "Look, I've got a got a license, prepared to do some relief driving, or actually maybe I want to work more permanently in the industry again, or, or come into the industry for the first time. Um, look, the number one issue we hear from transport operators is that they have a shortage of drivers. This is the sort of campaign that shows the industry's opening its door to, to drivers. Um, I have to be really, really upfront here. 
we're concerned at the lack of interest that's being shown by transport operators in this. Um, to me, when you've got a problem, you go out and you try and fix it. Yep. We are we are running this campaign um, and we've had some interest, quite good interest from transport operators. But what when we put names of people with classified licences in front of transport operators who say they have a, um, a shortage of drivers, it's really important that they pick up the phone to those people. Yes, so, absolutely. Um, and that's that's the challenge I think we're having. So, look, if there are people listening that work for a for a transport operator that needs staff, get in contact with Transporting New Zealand. If you're a transport operator yourself, please get in contact, register your interest. It doesn't matter if you're not a member of Transporting New Zealand. We are doing this for the industry. We work for the industry. Yes. Um, but um, you know, and that that's about doing good across you know wherever in the country you are. Yes. So um, you know that's our value I think and and um, we've got some good government partners here uh, and um, you know at the same time this campaign is promoting what the industry does for the country once again yep. Yep. it's linking those things that I think people learnt in COVID but it's keeping it alive in people's minds so the industry can influence the government um, with our needs and our desires around all those issues that you know you've outlined yeah. at the top of mind at the moment Dave. Thank you Nick always great to catch up with with all of the uh, leaders of the, of the three associations and and last on the list this month because uh, we rotate them around but certainly not uh, not last or least in any way shape or form because he might be first next month is COO of National Road Carriers James Smith. We've had a few questions come in but I've sort of put those uh, I'm going to put those on hold for the moment because there seems to be a recurring theme uh, uh, coming through this month that we've had the obviously got the ruck review underway now we've got the, the fees review is underway and they're just I don't, I don't know is it me but like last time when we leapt to the fray to help the nation and we had the pending road user charges increase and we were the first to get slammed with a tax for our work and now like we're helping with supply chains under immense duress you know during the during the omicron thing and and they're lining us up for a couple of more increases in our costs there's just not a lot of reading the room going on at the moment you know with fuel and increases in costs and stuff like you know what's what's the thoughts there yeah i think there are you're 100 right david i don't think any politician is able to read a room um so i don't think it's in their job description <laughs> is to be able to read a room um so certainly when you've got an overwhelming majority in the house you you no longer need to read a room you can right. actually walk around with your eyes completely shut um now what you what you'll probably find is as uh 2023 looms uh eyes may get opened uh and and there may be sort of uh, a testing of the air and, and a wee gaze around the room to see where it's gone um, because I suspect the room is actually probably already left, yeah, and is um, and is, fo- and is focused on 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 what what the um, next government is going to be able to do, um, and that's certainly the feedback we're getting from um, around around the the industry is um, yeah they've, they've almost given up on this one. Yep, yep. And what and what's mm. the yeah I suppose and that's the mood amongst the membership for the NRC is that we need to get this country rocking again. Let's just get on with it. Oh yeah, I think I think there is the, there's there is that um, in fact when we've gone out for feedback on the different um, reviews, you know the RUC review and the fees review and things like that, uh, you know there is that um, feeling coming back from members as look, you know, um, yeah, it's you know, we're more focused on actually growing the business, you know, keeping up with um, demand and, uh, and and they're more worried about not having enough people. Um, to to to, you know, to either drive the trucks or, or work the machines and things like that. 
um, in a lot of these a lot of these reviews, like the, the the fees review especially, if you look at that, I mean, there's been a lot of noise about it, but it's 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 really minor. It's 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 simply reallocating uh, cost into the into buckets where it should have been at the beginning. You, know, you you look at it and you go, gosh, what were they thinking back in two thousand eight? Did they just sort of um, apply a standard thing across everything without even any reflection as to what it costs to do it? Um, and yet, yeah, you, know, you look at the review and you go, yeah, some of, a lot of it actually makes sense. Yeah, um, yeah, and and and, and yeah. that's that's right. But but at the, I think one thing we're learning in modern modern day economic theory is that so much of economics is actually confidence. So it, it's yeah. you know yeah. it's it under and and even the perception of a change in cost structure or something that, and you know people don't need another thing in their inbox just at the moment and like you know to, no. the, the timing's no. appalling. I mean. If, if yeah. it hasn't been done for so long, why do it now? Yeah, correct. And I think that there's also, because there's no good news coming in to balance it as well. Yes, yes. So, so every, everything you, you see is, oh, gosh, we're, we're, um, you know, we're, we're adding this little bit of cost or um, you know, your fuel's going up dramatically. Um, you know, your, your ruck relief is only going to apply to a small percentage of your vehicle fleet because it's only going to, you know, and also it's going to be some months before we, we get it and it's going to come with a whole pile of admin and you sit there go, oh gosh, you know, is it even worth it? You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, and, and then you get, um, you know, there's no, no sign of being able to, you know, go out and bring in some workers, um, you know, uh, oh yeah, well we'll get round to that yeah, towards the end of the year. Well, I need them now. Um, you know, can you? Yeah, could somebody please tell me now? And I think that's the biggest mistake. I think the the current government's done is they haven't um, delivered a clear um, pathway forward um, that that shows some some degree of um, optimism and, and oomph. Yes. Um, yeah. Every yeah everything is all about yeah, overabundance of caution. I think that's got to be the buzz phrase for. For this government, isn't oh, it? Um, overabundance of caution. Yeah. Um, and so you sit there, go, look, just, just, you know, can we get on with it? Yeah. Uh, yep. So, in regard to the fuel uh, increases, what's the mood there? What are you seeing? Because there's such an unknown quantity, and we don't know how long these, this, the externalities of the causes are going to are going to press on. Is it? Are you seeing more a, a lean towards a general rate increase over a FAF? Oh no, no, not yet. I think I mean FAF is still still is the best way to deal with fuel uh, because it because it is going to fluctuate. It's going to fluctuate a heck of a lot. I mean we had um, just today we had old Biden open up his tap a little bit more, um, and um, yeah that trickled down. And you got the barrel price, you know, sort of looks like I might head back towards a hundred, um, which you'll see a drop again. And then, but all it's going to take is someone to break wind inappropriately somewhere, and, and it'll be back up again. Mm. So, I, I think you know, FAF is still the best way to deal with that. Um, there is, however, a, a growing amount of other increases uh, that have been coming into the into the whole, you know, any any all all businesses. That means that actually. In addition to FAF, you're going to have to have a GRI. Mm. Otherwise, you're just not going to survive. Mm. Uh, you look at the co- uh, labour, uh, people not not political. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. People costs are going up. Uh, you got the minimum wage rose rose um, rose today, didn't it? And um, and that's going to flow right through right through. Uh, and and you've got um, you know every other cost 
involved in your business is going up. So, yes, I think you're going to see GRIs come in and you're going to see um, FAF continuing to play such a, a critical role. We've probably done, uh, probably the, to give you some idea of, of how many people are actually really worried about costs, we've done more cost models in the last three weeks than when I look back that have been done in the previous three years. Yeah, yeah. And so that's an indication okay. of what the bad news some customers so, are about to get, isn't it? <laughs> so, yeah. Now, that, that, and that's, that's, and the other interesting thing is we used to do, the bulk of our customers used to be for people entering the industry. Uh, the bulk of them that have been done over the last three weeks by the team here have been existing operators that are going hang on a sec, I need to have another look. Yeah. Um, can I get a, um, because our, our model looks forward a year, so it's a predictive model. So, um, you know, the, you know and, it's, and it's timing. The end of the financial years arrived, they're going, oh, Christ, that wasn't too good. Um, what's next year going to be? And, and so, yeah, we're doing an awful lot of those. Um, and uh, quite a lot of um, FAF calculators uh, yeah. flowing out the door as yeah. well. So, as people realise, gosh, they need. If they didn't have them, they need them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they're very interesting times. And of course, with the exorbitant margins that exist in the road transport industry, that the co- the the people that are going to bear the cost of that are uh, are only sitting in one place. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. It's, I liken it to um, operating industries a little bit like trying to do acrobatics in a tiger moth um, twenty feet off the ground. Yeah, uh, yeah. The smallest, the smallest mistake, and you're just a ball of flame. Yeah, uh, it's it, and and that's that's what happens. And you know, when you look at the margins that many many businesses operate on in road transport, they're just yeah. so tiny that it doesn't take much. And also the uh, the amount of businesses that get clobbered by domino effect. Yes. So they may have a perfectly good business, but then somebody um, nine dominoes back uh, falls over. And it doesn't matter how shiny and how good a domino you are, when you get clobbered over the back of the head, you're going down. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, one of the good things about road, road transport businesses is quite often you can pick them up and move them. Uh, you, you can help a member say that, okay, yep, shit's happened. Uh, right, how can we sit down with you and, and, and look for another opportunity elsewhere? And, and, and because the, the overall economy is growing, Mm. We still got, uh, yeah. We still actually, there are some, you know, quite a lot of good news out there. Um, you can do that. So it's mm. unlike, you know, that when in the, during the GFC, when the whole economy was was down, that was a lot harder. Mm. It was a lot harder to do back then because there was so much of the economy was slowing down. Now you get a member in trouble. Nearly every time, we can we can find somewhere else for that for, for that member to operate and, and for them to carry on. This is the Keep On Moving podcast. Um, almost time to wrap it up, Dave. Well, let's just go back to the uh, to the beautiful noise. Yeah, Muzzy. Uh, from, you, you, I know you I, cut me off before I could say anything. Oh, sorry, bro. What sort of clues are you going to give us? Uh, that's a truck slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> as, as any discerning ear will be able to tell straight away. And I tell you what, I'll be surprised if I have to give any clues for this one whatsoever. Um, there'll be ears that listen to this and go, "Oh yeah, yeah, I know what that is. That's a, that's a, uh, oh that's a, ah uh, ah uh, uh, uh. yeah." Yeah. All right, we're just about to wrap up. No, we're not, no oh. we're not going to wrap up. Oh, oh, yeah, well, we've, got, we've got one more check-in oh, before, oh. Uh, for, for next year's big show at Easter. Again, it's the biennial Wheels at Wanaka is coming up in Easter 2023. And I had a chat to uh, the media organiser there, Annabelle Roy, and they are really starting to gear up for what will be another very special weekend.
we've had it twice now. So the inaugural, inaugural show was in 2019. And we were lucky, fortunate enough to get it again last year in 2021. So Wheels at is a biennial event that happens every second year uh, over Easter uh, in Wanaka. We alternate with the Warbirds show. Uh, look, it, it was, the year one was big, was bigger than we anticipated. Um, we had 12,000 people turn up um, and vehicles from all around the country came to exhibit, which was fantastic. And then, and then it grew a little. And when I say a little, it grew a lot. And we, we, we were all very surprised how much it grew. So last year, uh, we had yeah, 25,000 people through the gates. Uh, and we actually extended it over three days. So um, who knows what will happen in 2023, especially if those borders open. But uh, we'll be ready. And we're excited. Yep. The, the, the difference between Wheels at Wanaka and most other vehicle shows is that Wheels at Wanaka is not at all stationary. So it's not a bring it in, park it up and wander around it for the weekend. Uh, instead, we've got nearly 60 acres um, of different arenas. So at any one time, uh, you could be over as, you know, you talked about the Terracat Earthworks Extravaganza where there's a, a big viewing hill uh, and then down uh, in the playground, there's, you know, 10, 20 big civil earthworks machines all working at one time uh, then you can stroll over to the, uh, the, the the dirt pit where there might be an enduro cross uh, like a motorcycle obstacle course the actual competition going on uh, with with uh, motorbikes zooming around and then there's a, a rally car track and then at the same time there's truck and truck and tractor pull going on in that arena the steam engines are cranking um, there's cars everywhere and uh, in the middle of all of that uh, is the Highlands Parade Ground. So every 15 minutes, we have a different parade going around the, the central arena, which is, I can tell you is a logistical nightmare to manage, but great fun. <laughs> yes. Um, so there's something to watch. Yeah, <laughs> and and it's great that that every 15 minutes, regardless of the fact that there's stuff going on all the time, that every 15 minutes there's, there's a, a different a different uh, enthusiastic group of people from the show showing there. So even if you just want to have a sit down and a hot dog and a drink, you can still actually go and watch and and you're dead right. It's the interactivity of Wanaka that that absolutely nails it. And 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 it starts from days out. Like there's groups of enthusiasts perched on the side of the road, seeing what's on its way there. You know, it's a, it's an incredible thing. And the convoys, Dave. Oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. The convoys that start from all ends of the country and head to Wanaka. Yeah. Look, you want to take a little extra time on the roads that weekend. You can't be impatient. There's all kinds of things hurtling at all different yeah. speeds. I, I, I took a friend's truck down there, picked it up in Christchurch and, and took it to Wanaka last year for him and uh, with some displays on it. And and when you go through the towns and there's, and there's trucks parked up en route that are start staying in the in the hotel for the night and they see you come through and they know where you're going and you know where they're going and there's horns <laughs> and waving and oh, it's, 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 yeah, it's out of control. Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's a fun old time being at the gate watching what's arrived, what's yeah. arriving. Because you never yeah. really know. We have yeah. pre-registration and that will open soon, but... Yeah. Uh, it's always a bit of a surprise of who's rolling in next and where from and what's on the back. Mm. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And well, Annabelle, thanks so much for your time on the on the Keep On Moving podcast. Uh, and we are going to keep in regular contact and you're going to keep yeah. us updated on, on, you're going to build the anticipation and the excitement as we get closer. Yes. Yeah. Thank you to you and the team at New Zealand Trucking too. You've been supportive since day one and we can't say how appreciative that we are. Thank you. Excellent. No, no, no worries at all. It's a fantastic <laughs> event and uh, regards to everyone and we'll talk again soon. And we'll see you in 2023. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah.
Now, Dave, you're, you're saying, you've told me that this is huge, this thing. Yeah, this is huge. This is, this is earth-moving machinery, trucks, cars, motorbikes, muscle cars, and it's, and it, and it's interactive. They, mm, they all yeah. get a chance to go. They all yeah. do something. Yeah. And the, the motor scrapers are out digging dirt, and it's, just, and, it's, and it's got everyone who's ever yeah. been anything to do with trucks or motor scrapers or civil or anything will be there. And it's just it's a fantastic get-together, isn't it? Oh. Like, yeah. You can't take more than three steps and you run into someone you know or yeah. worship or, so, or both. It's been lovely seeing your faces. Well, mind you, we do on the Zoom, don't we, really? Yeah, but it's not the yeah, same. Yeah, not the same. Yeah, it's no. you're so much better looking in real life, mate. Well, I was just going to say, I didn't realise how good looking Cam was. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> say the sweetest <laughs> things. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, oh. yeah. All right, guys. Yeah, I, think, I, think, I think social distancing is becoming a good thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, uh, the editorial director from New Zealand Trucking Magazine is going to shout a beer right now. We're off. 10-4. 10-4. See you next month, everyone. This podcast is brought to you by the team at New Zealand Trucking Magazine. Remember to get your hands on the latest issue from your favourite retailer or subscribe now at nztrucking.co.nz. Over 100 pages every month containing the latest industry news and articles through to historic stories celebrating the characters and personalities of trucking here in New Zealand. New Zealand Trucking Magazine, the original voice of the New Zealand trucker.